0: This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 98. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
1: I'm Ramiyasha, and today, finally, after two months after we recorded it, you folks will finally be listening to our discussion of Banana Fish, the 1980s Shoujo BL Classic by Akimi Yoshida. And we have a great guest on to discuss the series with us Banana Fish's biggest fan, Marion B., writer of the blog Takashiro. She joins us to share her perspective on Banana Fish. Her insights into the characters, into the world, the themes, everything about it. And we go into many different aspects of the series. We discuss how you would classify the series. We discuss the context the series was made in. All the political and social things that were going on. All the influences Yoshida took from films of the time. Especially queer films like My Own Private Idaho And yeah, there is just a lot we uh, covered in this uh, episode that I can't wait for you guys to listen to. It was a really great discussion. And I'm glad to have read Banana Fish, because as you'll see in the discussion, I came out of it like a huge fan of the story, even though it is such a cruel story, unforgiving to its fans and to its characters. But there's just so much there to love. There's such a story about love that it was hard not to love it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Banana Fish was definitely something I really enjoyed reading myself. And though I, I think this is one of those conversations where I, I, I don't think I contributed much, uh, I, I still had a lot of fun talking about Banana Fish uh, with Marion. And um, yeah, I I think we're just going to head right into our discussion because, uh, quite honestly, our discussion of Banana Fish by itself is already pretty long. And uh, with that being said, I know we still have like some news to talk about that I don't think we were able to cover on the last episode, but, uh, I think we're just going to worry about that another time. And, uh, yeah, I don't have a very good transition into this. Uh, Lum, do you have
1: anything? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you something. It's, it's a code. You gotta remember this. Banana fish.
0: All right, all right. find you, you the banana fish. You, you just, you just gave me a USB. Um. All right, I'm hooking up the USB I'm on my old uh, 80s or 2010s computer, depending on what you watch or read. And uh oh no, I, I got to listen to an entire podcast to get the secret coded message. Well, I guess let's do that. Let's listen to our banana fish discussion. Find
1: the truth. Find the truth. Find the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes in life I feel like that I'm directionless, alone, and isolated. And I feel like sometimes that, you know, maybe I should just give up. There's no escaping from my pain or my suffering. But even though I get lost, I also oftentimes find myself. Because I think to myself. I think to myself about the idea of fate. And fate somehow brings me hope inside my heart. And fate has now somehow given me the reason to discuss the classic manga, Banana Fish. It truly is a perfect day to discuss Banana Fish. And we have the perfect guest on to do it with. We have invited on Marion B, who writes the blog Otaku, She wrote and is the foremost banana fish fan and expert having written extensively on the series on her blog and on twitter with daily posts of uh, great cute ag pics uh, marion thank you for coming on the show
2: hello thank you for inviting me
1: yeah, it's awesome to have you on because like definitely my awareness of banana fish and uh just the omnipresence of the series like in my daily life has come from seeing you just post adorable pics of Ash and AG on Twitter every day. <laughs> and uh, that has definitely been one of the big encouraging reasons for me to finally read Banana Fish. Is to to see this relationship and and see the story of these characters. And I want to thank you for that.
2: You're welcome,
1: uh, Marion, Would you like to like explain it? You know, uh, maybe you could put it best. Like, what is Banana Fish about?
0: <laughs> can, can, can 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 you tell can you tell us what Banana Fish is in less than two sentences? You don't have to actually do that.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can tell you in two words, absolute pain. <laughs> That's banana fish. That's it.
1: That's a good descriptor. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the premise of banana fish is, you know, Ash Link's our main character. He is a uh survivor of uh, child prostitution who is has like m- worked his way up in the gang of the Union Corps uh, specifically a division run in New York under Dino Golzine uh, and he's become like uh, head of his own gang he works under Golzine at the start of the story but he's always he's searching for a way out he's searching for an escape but he's also searching for like kinda he kinda stumbles across like an answer to some a mystery he wanted to solve but, like what happened to his brother uh, griff in the Vietnam War that caused him to kind of lose his mind and kind of enter this comatose vegetative state. And at the beginning of the story, uh, he stumbles across someone who is like dying and mutters the words banana fish to him. And that sparks the investigation of him trying to figure out what banana fish is, what is Golzin's connection to it, what is... Uh, grip's connection to it eventually, you know, that uh, leads him to cross paths with ag who has accompanied a photographer, Ebay uh, from uh, Japan. You know, just to do a story on youth gangs of America. You know, they kind of hit it off like meeting in Ash's hangout, but uh, you know, uh, Ash is attacked by a group run by uh arthur who is like a rival to ash who wants to take over his spot as like the head gang leader in of the U gangs in nyc and also like a uh, pedophile creed marvin who wants just wants to get his hands on ash so and that ultimately uh crosses a- ash and Ag's fates together and uh, through the story, like, Meiji helps Ash, like, kind of emotionally grow by becoming, like, his the first person where uh, Ash is allowed, kind of feels at ease around, is allowed to be a uh, kid around, and just be, like, a, uh, like, allowed to express himself, like, truly and emotionally, and uh, show moments of vulnerability in a way he can't do with other people. Uh, because of, like, the status of those people, the situation he's in, and the fact that he's had to fight for his life all his life. And, you know, eventually the, the mystery of bananafish is discovered is that it's a mind control drug that is being developed in partnership with the Union Corps, the U.S. and the U.S. government, uh, for use in, you know, military operations uh, in South American countries and domestically, just to control political opponents and uh, you know, basically control global politics in a sense. You know, this is all taking place in the midst of the Cold War, and that's a very important thing. You know, there's huge historical basis for that. But you know, basically, after that mystery is revealed, the the goal becomes to get the truth out to the public, to bring goals into justice, and in doing so ash will finally you know achieve his freedom he'll be able to get out of this life that he so desperately wants to and all along the way you know that's also what AG wants AG wants ash to find his happiness ash to you know stop being involved in this killing and just leave that life behind him and so that's the that's the goal of the series that's the struggle of the series and uh, unfortunately that's not the destination of the series he does not find his freedom but uh
2: Thanks, Yoshida. Yeah, the
1: the ending I think we'll definitely go into later down the line, but uh just Oh we better. No, we we are going definitely, but you know, <laughs> this is a special occasion because Banana Fish is also the first of the survey chosen series that our fans voted on in our Uh, survey earlier this year it took us half the year to get around to one but we finally did and i'm really glad we're starting off with this title because of all the uh, series that people voted for banana fish was the one that i was really dying to get into you know just because uh i guess we'll go into our backgrounds of the series so in just a little bit but you know this is a series that has been on my radar for a long time you know i've seen it discussed a lot read a lot of writing about it long so i kind of you know had an awareness of it long before i ever read it and especially when the anime came out the discourse on it really exploded and that just increased like my awareness of it and uh, of like w- what was it about both like the uh the qualities people love about it and uh, some of the things that people have mixed feelings about which i think we'll probably get into as well though i definitely want to keep a lot of praise on everything there is to love about the series because it is such a fascinating series and one that definitely hasn't me but i'm really interested in what our banana fish experts history with the series is Marion. uh what is your background with banana fish like how did you discover it how did you get into it and like what made you fall in love with the series
2: <laughs> oh man you know at this point i feel like I've been haunted by this forever. In Mananafish's time, it could be a day, like a decade, a century. It's all the same. I don't even remember anymore at this point. (laughs) That's fair, yeah. But I definitely remember. I definitely remember that as a teenager, I spent a lot of time in manga forums, especially in the classic shoujo section. And Fish was absolutely one of the. The titles that everyone mentioned that it was so good, and you have to read it. Like, it was Banana Fish, Mars, Please Say My Air, like, that was yeah, Oran High School, Fruits Basket, like, it was, there was a list, and Banana Fish was there, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are classic formative shoujo.
2: Yeah, and I've been so I've been aware of this since <laughs> so long, and I definitely read it before the the anime was announced, so I've been like, hype from this since that, since back then. And since the beginning of 2019, when they were releasing posters and reviews and everything they were doing to market the series in that Godforsaken website (laughs) that I check daily. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I mean, I think they do the same with, I mean, I think they did the same with The Promised Neverland and with Saras and Mai, so maybe it's like a, a Noita thing, but they don't even put the, the, the next episode's previews in the actual episode, they put it on Twitter on in a different date, and then they put on the website images for the previews, so you are definitely checking the website as soon as you finish the episode to, like, get a, a sneak peek of... Oh. Next week,
1: it's a good uh, strategy in terms of promotion to get fans like hungry to find out more about lo- what's coming next, and then drive up website traffic.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. <laughs> <but> it's good.
1: <laughs> I think that you could uh, describe Banana Fish the series itself that way.
2: <laughs> like I, I read the manga. I know what happens, but I was still like, "What happens next week?" And I like, went to check. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's a lot of the fun of the adaptation. It's like, oh, when are they going to get to this? When are they going to get to oh, this? yeah.
2: Yeah, and with adaptations, you can know what will make it. Like, what, what will be left out? What will they put? How will they make it? So uh, there's still certain element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the Banana Fish anime is surprising. I watched uh, about the first 14 episodes, about the first half of it, and it feels like the story has basically been mostly retained they just truncated and streamlined like a few elements of it but like the core of the story is all kept i don't there isn't like entire arcs removed like there might be in some adaptations like for instance in uh uh Ushio and Tora, another Mappa adaptation like that had entire arcs cut out of that series uh you know arcs that you could not re- no, you you can miss like they they aren't essential to the plot which is why they took them out but like banana fish you know the entire plot is there it just moves really fast but it works because the manga you know is pretty fast paced itself and it is very action focused in that latter half especially
2: yeah i feel like the manga is like super frenetic and all over the place and so many things are happening (laughs) so fast so I never really had a problem with the pacing of the the show I think it captures that feeling well Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah, I I, th- I found it a compelling watch. Like uh, it was, I it was a very easy binge, and I'm definitely looking forward to watching the final ten episodes as well, because that'll be interesting pacing. Because that'll be like about a volume and episode pacing. So I'm definitely curious about how that all is uh, handled in transition page to screen. But. Yeah, I mean, you were, like, uh, very on top of, like, the anime. Like, you wrote, like, episode reviews for the first 13 episodes, uh, like, breaking down a lot of the content episodes and also, like, analyzing, like, the visual components of them, like, lighting choices, uh, framing choices. It was really Toro and great analytic work. And I'd highly recommend, like, anyone, like, wanting to read, like, a really deep analysis uh, of, like, the show to, like, check those writings out.
2: Thank you, <laughs> I'll be honest. there's a big part of me I mean I'm clearly obsessed with banana fish, but <laughs> I did the the episode reviews like out a spy <laughs> because I was so frustrated with the discord <laughs> <and> <laughs> I mean part of me was frustrated or mm. disappointed or just not. Satisfied with what people were saying about it, like I thought the anime was doing a lot of interesting things that people were overlooking it. And <laughs> spite, <laughs> power me through it. So I, it wasn't even hard. Like I just made those for those super long analyses because I was like very into it. I was very interested in what they were doing, and. Then I think they changed the opening and the ending on episode fourteen, maybe.
1: Yeah, after the fight with Archer.
2: Yeah, and that destroyed me because <laughs> they made they made reference to Ash dead and the little the they forsaken heaven. Liver in the snow, and I was like, No, hell no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so I oh, check out, yeah, and I just kind of grow about rainbows and Ashinegi in episode 18, and I call it a day like, I'm out of here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you never finished the show?
2: I did, I did. Uh, I watched all episodes at least twice because. I watched it live first with the Japanese broadcasting because I was that anxious to see how they were <laughs> going to do the episodes. And then I watched it on Amazon where this, when the subs were up. And the last episode was the one that I just like kind of like just skimmed through when Amazon was, I mean, when Amazon put the episode out because <laughs> I was not, <sighs> I was so, I can't even describe how I felt when I went through it. I was like, fucking hell. (laughs) I can't believe I'm going through this again.
1: (laughs) There's only so many times they can break your heart. It's like, no, please, I can't endure this pain again.
2: And it's even worse because the anime is very competent with what it does. And they made it more emotional and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, to me, I know you're doing your job, but please give me a break here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so uh, the last episode, and then I had Muto that were like, this part specifically broke my heart, and they put that screenshot of Ash getting stuff, and like, come on, are, are you serious? And then they put that the, and then everyone was like angry at the at the, the again because she she was like, oh, he's just sleeping, and. There should have been blood there if he, the the dude was like stabbed or anything, and she was like, oh, "No, she's sleeping." And so I mean, basically, um, the episode was up, and I was forced to like relieve this that scene again and again and again because everyone was sad, and everyone just <laughs> keep reliving the scene. Like, come on!
1: Inundated with just like gifts and pictures of Ash's death scene over and over again.
2: I have seen Ash. I have seen Ash Mile so many freaking times, and I hate it.
0: <laughs> well, I guess uh, I guess as someone who's only seen about the first episode of the anime, um, you know, I well, what what you what you guys are saying about the anime makes me feel really good about possibly maybe checking it out like with a friend here sometime soon because I did I did want to watch it here at some point. So yeah,
1: if you're a masochist, then uh, you know can handle the ending. <laughs>
2: I don't know if Banana Fish is like an ideal anime to binge watch though, because there's so much going on and it's so excessive with like the pain and I don't know. I mean, I never wing watch it. I watch it week per week, so I can't imagine how how it will be like to just consume the whole thing.
0: It's 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 a heavy series. Like I when I when I was reading it for the show here, like I I could maybe read like half half a volume a day or so in some cases just because like it, it just it just gets so heavy in places but then there are other times where like you know i'll get to a an especially great volume and i'll be like oh man i really gotta read what's coming up next
1: that's really interesting because i definitely uh especially t- towards the end read multiple volumes in a row and with the anime i watched like te- like episodes five to fourteen like in a marathon, basically. Because I do find it, like, an engrossing read for just the pulp elements, even if, like, I, I, there were, at times, like, had to stop watching or had to put the book down because there were things brought up that just was too much, and I just, like, had to, like, s- like sit and, like, a kind of think and, like, not engage for it for a moment before I was ready to dive back in. But, like, in general, like, the series is a really... uh compelling and like fast-moving like action stories so like especially in those elements like it's like a really great page turner and like the volumes end on like great like cliffhangers where it's like well i gotta know what happens in the next volume so i gotta pick that up and read it now even though i plan to stop for the night and it's three in the morning
2: yeah like that's definitely one of the the serious strength like everyone with even with all the heavy stuff, and even with all the not so great and problematic elements, like you're like, Oh my god, this is so wrong! But you can put it down, you need to know what happened next. Like, what will Ash do next? And it's it's a very engrossing story, mm-hmm.
1: most definitely. And yeah, I mean, Colton, do you have like any uh, want to go into like maybe your experience reading Banana Fish? Like, uh, you know, did you have any? Knowledge of what the series was about before reading it, and uh, what did you how was your reading experience like in general?
0: Um, I guess I I guess I don't have like a lot to tell because uh, B- Banana Fish is really it's it's not something that I I had a lot of I, I guess I knew the gist of it, but like I knew very little about it like actually going into reading it for the show today, so. I mean, I think before then, the most I had known about Banana Fish would be from, like, the, the the multiple people I had seen, like, I'd seen tweet about it or whatnot, or just post about it in general. You know, I, I had never, like, I had never seen it in bookstores or whatnot, probably due to the fact that I'm sure it was pretty hard to find at one point, you know, before the reprints.
2: Yet, yeah, before the reprint, if you and. Went- to look for it on Amazon. There were volumes that were between a hundred dollars and a thousand dollars. That's how rare yeah. it was.
0: Oh, the second hand market is funny like that. <laughs> um, I I would never pay a thousand dollars for a single volume ever. Um But um but no, yeah, I so I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about it going in and uh I guess just to kinda like man, I don't know i'm i'm trying to figure out how to describe my reading experience because i feel like i feel like i it it took a while for it to for it to really like kind of grab me i i think it was around the point where uh, spoiler alert i guess where shorter Wong, you know he eventually dies and they escape from uh from Gulzine the first time. I I think it was around that volume. I think it was volume six or so, somewhere around there. I think that was around the point where I started getting really into it. Basically, I I I was I was kind of lukewarm on it at first, but then like I started liking it more and more as I went on. Um there were definitely sections of the stories that I thought were more engaging than others. Uh I really like a lot of the back half of Banana Fish in particular, just because I feel like that's where that's where a lot of the action picks up, because um, I feel like in the beginning of the series, it's a lot of like exposition and a lot of like strategizing, a lot of like double crossing between different factions and whatnot. A lot of like, it's 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 almost like a game of chess. Like you're kind of watching the pieces, kind of sort of like in motion almost. You kind of you're kind of you're kind of watching like uh, everybody make their moves as to like how to get back at a certain faction and whatnot and no not not that i not that i thought that stuff was boring or anything uh far from it but um i don't know it was i i feel like that's really my my only complaint with banana fish is that i feel like there are times where like the exposition gets to be a little much and i feel like there's so much to get through at some points not 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 necessarily at the level of like Sugami Oba and like you know reading stuff like Death Note or Bakuman or whatnot, but it it does get to a point where it's like okay, I've I've read so much that like I I need to take like a break almost. Um, but it, it was still like interesting though, like I I still had a good time reading this uh, despite its uh its heavy subject matter and uh d- despite some mixed feelings on certain aspects of the story and its characters. Like, I think I came out of this pretty positive. Like I, I think I really enjoyed the series and I would definitely, I would definitely recommend it to other people. I think.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the series, but it's interesting because I have very different, uh, well, I had a very different experience with the series than you did in terms of like what parts I enjoyed most and like when it grabbed me. Perhaps it can be attributed to the fact that uh, I like playing chess. I played chess uh, for many years, uh, so I I'm very into strategy, mind games, different factions, kind of ha- uh, trying to manipulate one another and like kind of. Uh, put out these strategies in order to enact their like final plans to bring everything all together and like doing so in like roundabout ways that aren't obvious at first but then when you see the end result you're like oh my god every step of the way this was so interesting and so clever but uh, it's because uh, you know for me actually uh, my favorite uh, part of the series was like that first half Uh, I really think that Uh, You know, I I said before that the action, uh, especially in the second half, it is really fast-paced and, like, uh, fun to read. But I wouldn't say I was as invested in the action as much as I was in the mystery and in the central relationship between Ash and Eiji. And for me, the back half of the series was where I was finding myself, you know, a little more detached from what was going on in the story because we had so many sequences of Ash just fighting people. And there were, I felt a lot of kind of repetitive like parts of the story where it was like, you know, Ash gets captured, they have to break him out. Then he gets like captured again and they have to break him out. That 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 does
0: happen a lot. Yeah. The (laughs) story
1: structure is is very, uh, you know, I felt like, especially, you know, in the stretch where, Ash is in prison in the mental institution. is Right after that is when Blanca comes into the story and forces Ash to once again go back into Golzine's clutches. And I was like, wow, Ash was only out of the mental institution for like a, a volume, and now he's back in Golzine's hands again. <laughs> this happened a little quick to do this plot point all over again.
2: He just can never <laughs> catch that goddamn frame. Personally I like I like like both sides. Like I like the mystery and the like the the chase game and I also like the you know, just a good old fashioned people, shooting people. Like I enjoy that thing. <laughs> I enjoy my action. Yeah. But it's all really good. Um personally I think the last I mean, I agree that the first half it's like the best part of an Fish. and it has some highs when like, in the middle, but when Fox is introduced to me, it just goes downhill from there.
1: Oh yeah. Fox is such an unnecessary character. I really don't like Fox. Like, coming in to basically your place goes in as the final antagonist. It's really unsatisfying. Like, thematically, what is the purpose? Like, he is a representation of the military-industrial complex that is perpetuating this of this violence and this dr- a drug trade in pursuit of just power—is that what he's supposed to represent? I don't fa- i don't really care about that. Like, I care about like the catharsis of Ash escaping from Golzine and like defeating Golzine. And what I really hate is that Golzine saves Ash's life from Fox. That sucked, man. Yeah. No, Golzine is. <laughs> Irredeemable. There should not be at all a sympathetic moment for this character. This guy. See, I didn't, I didn't find that
0: sympathetic, though. But
1: it's an it's a you could read that as a redemptive act that he saves Ash's life and then falls into the to the fire. Like you don't have any contemplation, musing on it to to like really recontextualize it otherwise. So just even presenting that as an open interpretation bothers me because he is a rapist, he abused, manipulated Ash, like, he's a monster. Like, I really, like, Golzine as a villain is, uh, is a character, like, as a villain, like, he's absolutely hateable, with no redeeming qualities, and that's what makes him a really good villain to me, an interesting villain to me. And But I, like, I don't at all, at all want the series to ever give the impression that he had any genuine love for Ash, because never, never uh. Oh, no. the see i i
0: didn't i'm i'm conflicted because i i guess you could read it like that but i don't know if i agree with that at all because i i thought that moment in particular i thought that was more of a you know this guy has been after ash you know this entire time constantly talking about how like he basically wants him for himself or whatnot which is pretty gross and like I don't know. I took that more as, well, this guy obviously wants Ash so bad that I could see him pulling that kind of thing where it's like, the only one who's going to kill you is me because you're mine. Like, I, I don't that's know. I didn't necessarily. To
1: it, And that's, that's true because Golzine does state uh, several points in the story that he won't let anyone but himself kill Ash, but it's just, again, yeah. yeah
2: I mean, I think, I think both views are fair and that's a problem. Like, it shouldn't ever, like, even be a chance for you to think or to interpret that maybe he did love him or whatever. Exactly. Like, I have definitely seen people, I have definitely seen people watching the finale. When, and there's a moment when, I mean, it's not really a spoiler. So there's a moment where when Dino falls and he, like, connects eyes with Ash. And Ash is, like, shocked. And people are like, what is, what is going on here? Like, was Ash seem like feeling sympathetic towards him or whatever? And I don't think that that was it at all, but I also don't think there should be the chance for you to think that. And regarding Fox, imagine having a story where you have pedophiles that dedicate their lives to trafficking children and thinking you need more evil than that. Yeah. And then make Fox. Like, there was no need. We spent from the very beginning of the story wishing this fucker would just drop that. And then you bring you bring another one and steal the spotlight from, from that? Like you you take that away from us? To what for what?
1: Yeah. He's just a random person that Golzin hires and he's not interesting or like uh, he doesn't stand out compared to previous villains. He's just, like, a person who has even less personal connection to Ash than Ghoulzine and uh, is exactly the same other than the fact that he can fight, I guess.
2: No, I mean, he his whole thing is hurting Ash. Like, he spends... I mean, every time he talks, he slutchains Ash, and he reminds him of his past, and he even specifically violates violate him, because he knows, like... He was, I mean, he knows he's a survivor. That's exactly the reason why he raped him. Like, his entire thing is hurting Ash. And at that point, what was the need? Like, we have already been through so much. Leave him alone, goddammit.
1: Yeah, exactly, we already yeah. had a character who's, who wanted to make Ash suffer, and that was Golzi. We didn't need Fox as, like, an extension of that. And especially we didn't need him as a replacement for Golzi as the final antagonist. We need, like, has no, no real personal connection with what's going on. Like, he just randomly takes over at the final volume.
2: We just need, I mean, literally all we needed was Ash to finally get rid of Dino. Like, that was literally all we needed. It was so simple.
0: And they couldn't even give him that.
1: Yeah, I definitely found that very unsatisfying. Uh, it was, yeah, for Colonel Fox, that was, you know, there's good action sequences in, in those final volumes, I I do think. But the, it doesn't click with me because the antagonist just, like, feels so unnecessary.
0: Yeah, I, I can agree with that.
1: But, I mean, the high point, uh, you know, of the series to me, you know, in terms of both action and in terms of both, like, the the narrative emotional weight was, like, that fight with Arthur, where, you know, like, Ash leaves AG behind, he doesn't even tell he's going to go and do this death match with Arthur... You know, they they think it's going to be a one-on-one, but of course, Arthur, you know, being the cowardly uh, jerk he is, you know, has hired goons on the train, you know, and it's a I love that action sequence, where Ash is fighting Arthur's guys on the train, make, working his way up to him, and then finally that big showdown on the bridge. It's just incredible. But what sells it, it's not just the action, what sells it is like the emotional power of like, A.G. arrives at the scene, you know, he yells up to Ash, don't do it, but Ash, it's too late, Ash kills arthur and it's like this just it's not a satisfying moment for ash because ag sees him like do something that you know doesn't want ag to see him as and so it's like this big moment of heartbreak in a moment that should be uh victory and that's so good That like hurts so much and it's just such a perfect crescendo for this action sequence because in it's a defeat in victory because every you know it results in just everyone getting captured it sets the stage for a lot of stuff in the second half you know it's it's such a good moment uh, uh, that to me was like the real high point of the series to me like just how all of that came together like I love that so much mm-hmm.
2: yeah the, I agree that it was such a great moment I have seen entire playlists being created like without screenshots and <laughs> they're also good <laughs> by the way <laughs> they're like you know the, all those 80s playlists with like and all uh this i mean this specific rock 80s rock that's like melancholic and so full of scenes and it's so good.
1: Mhm. most definitely man there's there's so much too banana fish in terms of like what inspired it and what is drawing from in terms of the cultural and political moment, because Yoshida, you know, was obviously inspired by all sorts of different forms of art, especially a lot of queer films where she just found, where she found the relationships fascinating and she definitely put that into Banana Fish. But also it is so much a product of its time in terms of like, the politic, uh, what politics is referencing, what things is referencing, obviously in the sense of mind control drugs. Uh, well, banana fish, you know, it, you can draw parallels to MK Ultra, the the uh, you know the mind control experiment engineered by the CIA between the fifties and seventies. And it's very clear that, you know, uh, Yoshita did a lot of research on this because there is not just the idea of this mind control drug that she references, like even in the sense of like making specific references to like things that happened. You know, in the MKUltra program, like, uh, the care, the, the doctors in the series, Alexis and Abraham ba- Dawson, the developers of Banana Fish, uh, I, in my research, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that they are both named after Harold Alexander Abramson, who was heavily involved in MKUltra and wrote about the effect of LSD, uh, in psychotherapy and alcoholism. And, you know, he would, and, uh, he was also the administrator of the drug to one of the most famous victims of MKUltra, Dr. Frank Olson, who has a story that's very uh, suspiciously similar to Abraham Dawson in that, you know, he was uh, someone who was involved in developing the drug. He ultimately refused to continue the experiments and wanted out. And so the CIA uh, drugged him with uh, the MKUltra or the drug. and And then that caused him to lose his mind. And then uh, he was imprinted in a mental institution under Alexander Abrahamson's watch and eventually committed suicide by jumping out the tenth floor of his hotel room. So that seemed, like, really similar to me to, like, uh, stuff that happened to Abram Dawson. You know, it's, like, he was the developer, but he ultimately wanted out, so they they used him as a test subject instead, uh, intended to basically use him as a human experiment until he killed himself. And then there's this whole moment where it seems like Dawson is going to, like, die by, like, falling out of, like, the elevator uh, and that to me seems, huh, is this, is this like a reference to like what happened to Frank Olsen, like him committing suicide, him falling from the hotel room. So there's a lot of stuff like that, that specific political references that are really interesting to me in the story of Banana Fish.
2: Yeah. Um, on that point, I remember reading, I don't remember where I think it was a translation, but basically it say that yoshida was absolutely obsessed with this part of american history like i think it was when she was a high schooler that she would go to the library and read all about it like <laughs> people always say that i mean it's one of the things that people always say when they talk about banana Fish. like wow and you can really see that yoshida really really researched a lot and as a fellow nerd with an obsession, I'm pretty sure that Yoshida was being a nerd with an obsession, <laughs> just having an outlet to put in all every, every single thing she was obsessed with, which will explain why Banana Fish is like a little bit all over the place and it has so many things going on. Like, it's clear that Yoshida was both fascinated and bewildered with certain powers of like, let's say American culture. Yeah. And, and it's not just in Banana Fish. If you see her works, like, before it, she was already t- and writing, I mean, she was already setting her her manga in the United States, and then she just takes it to another level with Banana Fish. And it was pretty interesting because in, according to um, Frederick Elstatt, in Japan, in the late 80s, there was a fascination with New York as, like, a place where everything that's wrong with, like, America was in New York, but there there was also, like, everything that's right, like, the freedom uh, aspect that, like, the American freedom or whatever that was personif- personified uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry I forget the word, like, sometimes it happens that I want to say a word and I... Um, I can only remember it another language. So, um, English is not my first language. So, uh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> no worries. So there was like the freedom that was represented by New York, and it just happens that banana fish was also there. So like the popularity conceded with this. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it from the Japanese side. Also from the American side, there's the mafia's control over the gay scene in New York. And I think in some aspects banana fish is clearly a product of its time and it's clearly referencing real things that happen, but I think some things are done better than others. Like for example, the the control. Over the gay scene is referenced in that part when Ash and Max go to the gay club to get the pictures from the owner who's also like another pedophile. And it's just removed from this con, from, the, from this context. It's just so unfortunate because there's, there's like the correlation like of the gay scene with the pedophiles. I mean, like there's that choice, and there's i mean the that possible interpretation, and then there's also max who like gets harassed by by i mean in the gay club, and yeah, there's a conversation- yeah there's a conversation they have there like that how women feel that I think it's important, but it's just so unfortunate because to me that that moment with max kind of reminds me of every single dude I have seen this like Oh no, a gay okay, dude. My my sexuality. It's like I'm I'm in danger. Like like as if being gay is a disease, and being touched by them will take away your sexuality or some shit.
1: Yeah, I don't feel banana fish has a great view of gay men. Uh, in general, queer men in general. Like even for as compelling and uh beautiful as the Ash and E.G romance is like the explicit sexual relationships between men and banana fish are always portrayed in a negative light so it is very uh disheartening to see that
2: yeah i feel like it's really limited by like the heteronormativity and the conservatism of the time and yeah for sure yeah. Yeah, and that element, I mean it's true that in real life the gay clocks were often used like as a cover up for the mafia, for the the shady businesses and like they did prostitute um, young boys in there. Like that that's a thing that happened until the police raided those places. I think it was in the mid eighties. So yeah in banana fish stars in the mid 80s so it's not like a hundred percent like accurate but whatever and i just i mean in that moment obviously the lgbt community was not cool with this but like no one cared about them so the voices in the real life were silenced in in this in this matter and What's worse is that the the gay man as predators is such a common and dangerous stereotype. And in the manga, because the way it's present in the manga, I think, uh, unfortunately, it works to like give you the chance to think about these stereotypes. And it effectively silences the LGBT community that was not cool with this. Again, because like, there's not a single mention of them outside of the context of the the pedophiles, the club, and some gay dudes touch Max, and Max is like super... I, I wouldn't say gross out, but he's like super... I, I don't even know how to describe yeah, it. All like.
1: homosexuality in Banana Fish is presented in the forms of rape or sexual assault. There's never a positive, consensual... Uh, sexual experiences between men and banana fish at all and so it's like not it is even man it's it's not a great work for you know queer readers looking for that kind of thing it's it's and I feel it reflects which
0: is so sorry which is so interesting because like I, I feel like that was something I had heard about banana fish years ago was our I don't remember exactly, but I, I feel like I have a memory of like seeing somebody tweet about Banana Fish and how like you know and and how it was a good series because of like its representation and now 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 that I've actually read it, I'm you know, I, 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 I can't say I necessarily agree with that
2: unfortunately. Well, it's a complicated yeah, I mean, issue I mean, because somebody- <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Mary. I mean, something you you have to consider is that we don't have a lot of representation out there, and that's was, also true. I mean, yeah. Yeah. This came out in the eighties, and it arrived over here in the late nineties and early two thousands. So it was so for some people, this was like a holy grail or something. And like when you don't have a lot, you work with you work with what you have, and uh, I would Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I w- even today I wouldn't be like you know the banana fish is like perfect with for a presentation or anything. But because you can read it and still like see a lot of value in use relationship, I know that there's pe- there are people who still will recommend it for. I mean, because it has them, but you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't do it without a lot of content warnings
0: a lot, a lot of caveats, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, you need to know what you're getting into, but like it is important, like for the late nineties when this when *Nana* fish was first being brought over and, and published in English. Like there was such a dirt of like queer love stories. And so even with all this background of gay characters frequently being portrayed as pedophiles and rapists, like the pure romance between Ash and Eiji was compelling and something to latch onto. And I think there's still a lot of value in that relationship and how those characters you know uh, interact with each other how they help each other grow emotionally and like find they kind of find a place in the world find themselves in each other and that is really romantic and it's really empowering for a lot of people who maybe have who felt alone felt like there's no one who could understand them, and maybe have been in bad situations that they that you can have like the story about two people like growing and overcoming pain together that's powerful as as a queer story, even if, you know, I think we need, I guess if we're going to bring in the author's perspective in it, like, it's clear that Akimi Yoshida did not see this as a queer love story. She was not intending to write, she did not intend to, to write this with the takeaway that, well, she obviously was inspired by queer media, but she was not interested in writing, like, actual gay characters like in a relationship that is supposed to be you know two gay men in love like, I think that it's undeniably romantic. I think that she did intend it to be romantic. And, like, even at the end of the manga, in Garden of Light, you know, you have that conversation between Akira and Sing, where Akira asks, they, were they lovers? And Singh is like, oh, it wasn't sexual or anything like that. But, you know, he does say that, you know, is beyond that. Like, they were, like, soulmates, basically. So, like, there, it's still, you know, it's an asexual romantic relationship. Like, that's still, like, valuable. But, I, again, it's like... Uh in this interview that uh was tra- like excerpts of it that has been translated by uh this blog Break Me I, I discovered during my research, Yoshida is kinda uh is asked, like, why is the ending the way it is? Like why or Ash and A.G. like not happy together, like, it goes into something about the ending, but, like, comment that stood out to me was that, like, uh, Yoshida's editor mentions that, you know, apparently at one point, uh, Yoshida was thinking about, like, having a moment where Ash has sex with a woman in the story, but Yoshida's editor advised her against it, but, like, Yoshida's thought process about this was, you know, she wanted there to be a scene...
2: And Between I, I Ash and a will, woman, I will not take it too seriously. I remember that it was a lot of discourse back then uh, among people who like understood Japanese, and there seemed to be like a consensus that it was—I mean, taking with a grain of salt. I don't know, like I don't know about how accurate that is. I mean. There were people that were saying, like, it was the other way around, or they were, like, joking about, like, putting that in, and, and someone say, like, uh, something like, oh, so you real so you had to put that in because otherwise they will be like, oh no, Ash is too gay or whatever. Like, it, it, look, to be blunt, it's a mess. Yeah, so I, I, like I, I don't I, I know wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I would not go there. There's
1: probably nuances. Is it is it, is, it, is it is it
0: kind of like one? Of, is it kind of like the thing from JoJo where like, you, you have that little you have that thing kind of like roaming around the internet where it's like oh well Lisa Lisa was supposed to fight cars or whatever but uh Iraqis editor said not to do that or whatever kind of like kind of like in that category of like rumor or so I guess.
1: Well, it's like it's—I don't know how accurate this translation that this person did from this guidebook. So there's probably maybe even nuances, context here that is missing. So again, okay. again, I, I don't mean to say that you should definitely believe this is like hundred percent fact. There might be this discussion might have been happening joking way. So just moving on from that. But basically, I do feel that Yoshida was not interested in writing gay characters like I, I do think this was a love story but like she, she like she has also said in an interview she doesn't personally see it as a boy's love because she has this specific understanding that like uh, a boy's love series has like a sexual undercurrent and she didn't write that into the series and I think that's like that's just a different interpretation of what it means of what a what constitutes a boys' love series? Personally, I would consider *Banana Fish* boys' love because it is a love story between two men. Like even, and I don't think you need that sexual element of that there uh, for it to be considered a boys' love series. Uh, kind of like how Erica, like in her "Is Yuri Queer" uh, article, wrote that you know uh, her her idea of Yuri is that. You know, Yuri is like lesbian content without like lesbian representation. I think boys' love can be argued the same way. Like it is, it is gay content, but it's not necessarily gay representation.
2: Oh, oh boy. Okay, I have a very long run about that. Go ahead. You know, just. <laughs> um, I mean, I will agree that Yoshida wasn't like trying to grind uh, gay identity. So uh, into her manga, like there's a, it's definitely there, but it, I don't. I wouldn't say that she was like too concerned, or maybe she wanted to, but she had like certain limitations in her perspective. But why, what I'm sure she absolutely wanted to do was write write about soulmates who happen to be boys, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just like her beloved Mina, Midnight hallway, But <laughs> going, I mean. The boy love thing. <laughs> there was so much discourse about this. Mm-hmm. And I can there's, only there's imagine. No yeah. doubt, there's no doubt that Banana Fish inspire boy love. And a lot of people, I mean, I don't know if a lot, but there, there are people who refer to it as proto-boy love because at the time Banana Fish came out, the label didn't exist as we that know it.
1: That is true. That is something to keep. That
2: that I think that it, it was born around the early early nineties. and Banana fish came out in nineteen eighty five. Either way, it it was there was so much discourse. I I usually say it's shoujo and I call it a day, but like honestly, I we don't even agree with what boy Love is. Like this is a discussion that has been going on for so long. Like if you Google, you will definitely see people talking about what if this banana fish boil up. Like Yoshida herself has talked about it, and if you if you stumble across some like light journals or whatever of banana fish, you will find people that are so vehement and, and denying that now this is not a boil up. It should not be boil up, and <laughs> it's such a gray area. I think because I mean the more people discuss about it the more you realize that we are, we don't even agree with what up is and you have people with an academic interest that look at at this with certain perspective and you have people that go through go through this from the perspective of the magazine and the mangaka's career and Yoshida has basically always writing for shoujo magazines I think she writes later for a josei magazine but most of her career is on shoujo magazines and you have how close boy love and shoujo are to each other like it's the lines get blurry there and then you have like uh, (laughs) a You have absolutely eternal normativity boy love, that's definitely there for you to project like the role of a woman and a man and not see them as gay people. But you have also new different works like Go For It Nakamura or I Hear The Sunspot or What Did You Eat Yesterday that are a lot more authentic in what they with the kind of characters they write like they're basically just gay people existing, you know, and <clears throat> and so it's like there's what's the connection with that and the <clears throat> sorry with that and the more normative boil up like it's just the magazines right, and um, then you have the the negative feelings towards the label that comes either from from the knowledge of like its worst tendencies like romanticizing rape and that kind of stuff, or the belief that oil love is just like porn for women or whatever or if or if I know I'm so tired <laughs> <laughs> so you have perconceived so you have a lot of preconceived notions with the label and then you have like the definition of it's just writing for woman by woman but that's also shoujo so it's it's like it's complicated it's a complicated discussion and a lot of things are not connecting like we are not connecting here and i remember seeing a picture of the japanese poster of the movie call me by your name and it was marked as boy love like it has a big boy love in the poster and I don't think I mean I think we can all agree that there's no there's no one in the west that will look at an American movie that has gay characters and be like yeah this is definitely boy love like no one thinks about <laughs> these movies like that right <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. yeah yeah and you have people that just don't want like all this baggage to be associated with Series that were not published on Boil Up magazines, like not a lot. And now a lot of people don't want Banana Fish to be called Boil Up because it creates certain expectations, and some of those expectations are very negative. And they just don't want Banana Fish to be associated with that, like the romanticized rape, which is just not something that happens in Banana Fish. Like on the contrary, and then you have people who see and appreciate Banana Fish as a story that just, like, happens to have, uh, I gave romance that they connect with, and I personally, I mean, that's where I can see value. I mean, I don't have super strong opinions on, like, how things should be labeled because I'm personally someone who has never, liked to fixate on labels in general, like, I think, I think labels should be guides, not constrictive boxes where everything should be forced into like very neatly. And the funny thing about Banana Fish is that some people say, "Okay, this is shoujo." Others will say, "No, this is shonen. It has elements <laughs> from shonen." And, other, and others will tell you, "No, it's seinen." I distinctly remember in a in an interview that Banana Fish they to like Japanese queer fans and one of them yeah, was any like fact. yeah these and were and I was like what wait <laughs> wait it was it's not okay whatever so it's clearly a big gray area and it's obvious that banana fish has a big crossover appeal so like just why not embrace that I think
0: Exactly, I, I definitely agree. Like that, that was a, I forgot to mention earlier. That was something that like really kind of caught me off guard about Banana Fish when I first started reading it. Was that it is, uh, and I and I and I, I full heartedly agree about you know not getting too obsessed about labels, which is something I feel like a lot of manga fans at one point or another accidentally get ensnared in. But uh, yeah, it. Um uh, it, it also doesn't help that like I haven't read a lot of Shojo manga myself, so like I this I whatever preconceived notions I have about like how sho- how Shoujo manga should be like presented and like what tropes what very little tropes I'm like aware of that come with that kind of manga. Like with all that knowledge going into Banana Fish, I it was um it was very jarring to say the least. Like there were times where I did not believe this ran sh- in a in a shojo magazine at all.
1: Well, it did because it's
0: it's it's very unlike a lot of what people expect from a shojo manga.
1: Yeah, and I this I I you know I really agree with uh, Marion's thoughts and like people get too hung up on labels. You know, I I personally think there is a case to consider Bananfish uh, Affish BL under you know certain definitions, but definitely I wouldn't suggest it to be a strict definition because these these labels are so malleable and flexible and are have different connotations and meanings depending on who you ask when it comes to the, you know considering banana fish Shoujo, you know i feel like with certain labels you know it's sometimes it's easier to like just consider like who is the audience of the series but also like what magazine the series ran in cuz like the magazine like the like the audience that is the series being targeted to, I think that can give you a sense of, like, like who is the story being written for? And Banana Fish was published in Bisatsu Shoujo Comics, you know, the same magazine that has published series over the years, like Basura by Yumi Tamura, like a historical fantasy epic. It's published series like Dengeki Daisy, uh, series like Hot Gimmick. It's all sorts of variety of different series that are all very distinctly different, have very distinct art styles. And so there's so much depth in shoujo manga like there is no limits to what shoujo manga could be by any preconceived notions so I would definitely agree that Banana Fish you know uh, can is shoujo because like it was, it was written uh, for uh, female audiences and it ran in a shoujo magazine but like you know that doesn't mean to say that it isn't cannot be enjoyed by people like outside the intended audience like obviously uh pieces of media pieces of fiction have broad appeal that a lot of people can latch onto and enjoy and i feel like a lot of this idea of trying to like reconfigure like what genre a piece of work is in it comes from this stance of think of trying to A feeling like the genre it is in isn't legitimate enough for for them to enjoy it as that, so they have to make it something else. Like, I've I've had this conversation uh, about Death Note before with people. Like, I had this conversation with art friends when I was at Art school people thought people would say that oh no Death Note isn't shonen it is uh because it it's more mature than uh, the typical shonen jump series and it debuted within a week of Gintama another shonen series back in O Street you know it's it's a shonen jump series Bo 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 was in the same magazine as Death Note when it was run.
0: Oh yeah, and then you know, uh, I'm sure we mentioned it on the show before, but like I constantly see people say that same thing about Hunter Hunter all the time. Just be just because Hunter Hunter is capable of like delving into really mature subject matter every once in a while that people are like. That's not shonen. It's seinen. Sh- shonen is for kids. Like, I, I'm not a kid. I don't like kids' stuff. <laughs>
1: so ultimately, like, I do feel it's like this idea: like, oh, I'm an adult. I don't want to. I can't enjoy shonen because that's for kids. And then with shojo, there's this extra gendered, sexist view that oh, like I am a uh, adult man. I don't. I can't enjoy shojo manga, which is for girls. So it, it can't be shojo. It has to be. Staining or otherwise you no know, it is it's different from your other show, joe It's a it's a parody, a subversion. Like I have had this <laughs> conversation with people with Oran High School host club before where people are saying, Oh no, it's a parody of Shoujo. And I'm like,
2: you have clearly uh, not uh,
1: read Shoujo manga.
2: Uh, I'm so exhausted
1: Yeah, it Although is kind it's, it's kind an exhausting discourse. Yeah. I- well let's <laughs> yeah, let's mean, let's uh, let's
0: wrap it up with this labels are bullshit yeah i would
1: agree and,
2: and with
0: that, that. That's, that's pretty much what you should take out of this conversation
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean shoujo you yo say seinen whatever at the end of the day they are demographic labels they are they are there for the marketing they are there to like separate magazines and not make everything i mean not put everything into a single place it's like they're marketing labels and like I don't I don't see why we should obsess over them as if they were like definitive, uh, I don't know, genre or whatever. Because, I mean, when you say shoujo, you think about the high school and the romances and whatever, but you have, I mean, I think this is something that where we should take into account what is translated and what isn't and what isn't brought here, because there are there are stories like Tokyo Crazy Paradise by the author of Skip Beat, or Seven Seeds that recently had a Netflix anime, or, I don't know, a, a good bunch of stories that were written like in the 70s and the 80s that are just really freaking weird. And they are you, like, they, Banana Fish is not an outlier in that sense.
1: There's a lot of variety of different genres. It's not just this, this preconceived notion that, like, it's just romances. There are a variety of genres. Uh, and so, like, there, again, there's no restriction on, like, what a shoujo manga can be. And that is the same for, like, I think any story in any of these different genres, like the or not even any of these different demographic labels that are created for the purposes of marketing mainly to like what is the primary audience that we are selling this product to for the purposes of advertisers to know, okay, here's the audience, so here are what ads we're gonna put in this magazine. So like that's ultimately what demographics are for.
2: Yeah, like they they are there to sell. That's it.
1: But yeah. I mean, I think this – it's a very tiring conversation, but it's – it keeps being brought up in the context of series like Banana Fish, so it is worth having and expressing our thoughts on it as uh, tiring as it can be.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I I do agree, but I also really want to move on from this conversation because I'm also tired.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, ideas that the author wanted to express to the audience, you know, uh, we mentioned before, uh, Marion, like that scene in the in the bar where, like, you know, uh, Max is groped, and then, like, a- after in the aftermath, of that Ash has this line, you know, uh, women have it worse, and I've, there are a lot of moments like that uh, where Ash will me- will like mention you know sexual assault in that context and there's also where a lot of moments in the story where ash is you know very directly like railing against rape culture calling out like uh how the cruelty of sexual predators and the unfairness of it and and you know and uh one of the, in the interview i read where like she was uh, Yoshida was discussing like uh Uh, midnight cowboy being uh you know formative inspiration for her she also did mention that uh, at that movie theater where she would watch midnight cowboy you know there were like molesters there and she you know apparently had had experiences being sexually assaulted i feel you know reading the story and like this is just you know my perspective from what's in the text. I I really do feel that one of the st- most powerful, like raw emotional elements of the story is Yoshida expressing, you know, her like thoughts like on uh, sexual assault, rape culture, and like the damaging effect it has on its victims. And uh, well, I, I think one thing that has often been discussed in regards to BL series is how that they. They substitute traditionally, like, female characters or, or, like, problems that afflict, like, uh, women in real life with these male characters because it allows this sense of detachment and ability to, like, enjoy the story, a story without, like, you know, uh, like, making it feel too real in a sense. And that might be problematic in its own ways. But I do feel like, Within Banana Fish, you know, with this story, like that is definitely one theme and one topic that Yoshida has a passionate interest in like exploring and like um expressing her anger at. And I thought that was like a, a rare as really depressing as it would get at times. I think that is like a it, it was a message that I found Uh, compelling to read because of the rawness of it and because of the importance of it. I want to know what your perspective on that is in the story.
2: The way I see it, I mean, Banana Fish has a lot of male characters and barely any female characters, but it's interesting because I think there's a lot of value in showing male victims because I think we as a society kind of forget they exist and Men can be raped too. I mean, there's like this conception that men enjoy sex no matter what. And even when it's raped, they like enjoy it and that's just such bullshit. And men can be victim too, can be victim too, right? And it, but it also doesn't ignore the female experience because Ash himself is always aware. Like every time he casually mentions like how how much people like harass him and whatever he's like you know i know exactly how women feel and it's so sad that that's like the one thing that makes him relate with women and he's aware of it and it's just so it's
0: it it is really depressing yeah
1: yeah it's it's raw it's it 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 really it does it is painful because of like all the pain that ash has endured you know one moment that sticks out to me is when jessica talks to ash about him being you know raped by colonel fox and like she was also a victim of rape earlier in the story and she talks to ash about it took me a long time to get over this like i I can't imagine like how you're feeling right now and like how you can stay so have your composure like this right now and Ash replies you know if if I needed a year for every time that this happened to me you know I'd be dead of old age and to, that's just so heartbreaking because like Ash, Ash for Ash this is a this was a daily reality and, like, he was just, he's just been forced to endure this. Like, he can't have any time to really process this and recover from this because this is, this, he is subjected to, like, daily violence, daily assault, like this. So he, like, in just in order to survive, he has to, like, suppress the trauma and just keep, just keep living, just keep surviving. And that to me was such a gut punch of a moment because of like what it says in the context of Ash's character but also just like the daily lived experiences of so many victims of sexual assault and women in the real world especially. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: Like different people will obviously deal with, with pain differently but Ash is someone who because of the way his life is has to like force himself to get over things quickly and be on the move because he he can never stay still and I say force himself to get over it but he never really gets over it like it's inside of him eating him from the inside and it's his trauma shows up in his behavior and in some things he do and in even in things that he doesn't do and in like his reaction to some jokes he has with AG, you know, like when, when Ash jokes and he, and he, I mean, when AG says that like your eyelashes are really blonde and Ash is like, and do you want to see the hair down there or something? And then AG's like, yeah, yeah. And the reaction Ash has, I mean, that's not the reaction of like, a normal person. I mean, they were joking, and suddenly he was just so put off, so out of his comfort zone. And then you have the way he he speaks about harassment with Max. He says it so casually, but like when in that scene, when he talks about like, um, when he has dinner with Max, and he talks about stealing money from Dino's account, and he casually mentions that while Dino was raping him, his mind was elsewhere. And he used that sometimes to, like, hear things and memorize passwords and stuff. And it just says a lot about how he deals by, like, what's the word? It's It's like he's not really there. Like, it's not really happening to him. Like, he just... It's like part of him just gets out and goes elsewhere. He just like uh, I I forgot the word. There's a word for that. It, anyway, the way Ash deals with things, it's regrettably also there when Fox abuses him like it gets to him. Right, he I remember noticing in the anime and I really notices this because uh, they was predictably discouraged about this. and Ash is someone who has a lot of muscles, right? He is your typical 80s action hero. He has muscles, right? Um, in this scene, in the anime, there's... The anime kind of, like, adds some scenes that make the... Like, it, it makes the scenes, like, punch you more. Like, it adds a, a quick um, close-up of... of His pants that you can see that they have been pulled off, that the manga doesn't have, and it's, it's so much. Anyway, in the, in the anime, it shows he, that the fox broke his shirt, and he, like, and he opened his jeans. And those are quick close ups that are framed in a way that shows Ash hiding his eyes. His face is like in completely in the shadow and you see him exposed, right? And there were people who were saying that the point was watching the muscles or whatever, which I think is a reductive view of this because to me, what it shows is that Ash at the moment is exposed and it says a lot because Ash is always someone who gets on his feet like right away. And the fact that his eyes are hidden when all the anime, I mean, at all times, the anime use his eyes to express so many emotions and in the way they shine, on the way they don't have any shine. I mean, it really tells you that there's something wrong in there. And then there's a next, uh, another shot that has Fox like sitting in the middle and the framing makes it seem like, fox body is dividing Ash into two because Ash is lying on the floor and the fox is in the middle and on the wall the anime does a lot of subtle details and on the wall there's a part of the wall that's bare and that is broken and this originates from Ash body and then when we are allowed into Ash's emotions again is when he's like determined to fight again. Like that's when we are allowed to see his eyes again. And then in that scene where AG hides him, the wall again, it's broken and it originates from Ash's body. And those are like little touches that say says a lot about what's going on inside even if he is not saying anything. I mean, the scene itself are really. I don't think there should be any reason for those scenes to be there because again, fox is absolutely unnecessary. But I, I, I found those choices very interesting.
1: Hmm. I mean, that definitely sounds like some smart use of uh, visual shorthand and symbolism to convey meaning and power. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see that when I get to that moment in the anime, but yeah, like just in general, like that moment where Fox rapes Ash, like that is like a rare moment where Ash is made vulnerable and loses composure in a way that he so rarely does in the rest of the story. And Ag is the only one in that moment that you know knows what to do, knows how to comfort him, and like so he he hugs him. He is just this quiet moment of understanding, warmth, and comfort. And
0: which um which which I think was pretty effective because like I for, I I don't know if it's just me, but like I didn't really even understand that what what actually happened until like until Ag went in to hug him, and then if you notice like you know you you can notice Ash like trembling slightly too and you know it's those little details that i think really kind of help me paint a picture of what had just happened because otherwise it 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 almost it almost went totally like over my head so
1: right for the lack of positive sexual experience in the manga there is like positive physical contact experience between ash and ag and that is a, a moment where you know ash you know reeling from like a traumatic Physical assault uh, is me able to be comforted by AG offering just pure warmth and love, and that can heal him.
2: Speaking of bodies and muscles and AG, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the naked body, the, <laughs> the naked body is obviously associated either with uh, vulnerability or appeal, sex appeal if you have certain type of body and Ash is someone who has a lot of muscles. And when I went over it and because I tried to like give the dissenting opinions like a serious thought, I went over it and I really look at how Ash's body was presented. I found it was interesting because in that scene where it's revealed what happens to him, I will go as far as to say that the lighting and the shadows make it seems like, like I mean, it tones down the muscles. It's like I don't know. He looks hollow. His body looks hollow. And then there's another scene when Ash gets shot, and Blanca is like, is like taking care of him, and we see his stomach, and we don't see the abs. So it because he has like very noticeable abs in other scenes, that um. In that part, it's toned down too. But when Ash is being an 80s action hero in the mansion, he has like a six pack (laughs) and his body, his muscles are very noticeable. And something that stood out to me is that the one other instance where Ash is like very, very toned, it's when he is like almost naked and A.G. has, I mean, A.G. tries to wake him up. This is in the anime. And it was super notable because it looked like he had an A-pad or something. And he was like, like super ripped. And I thought it was curious that, I mean, the whole fact that Ash allows himself to actually sleep and be so exposed around Eiji says a lot. But the fact that the team in the anime felt comfortable with drawing Ash's body in this way, only when he's alone in private with Eiji, also like really pick my attention. This is an episode 18, by the way. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's like again very smart visual shorthand to just show like a distinct difference in Ash's emotional state, and I think that's that's very clever, and it it really shows that there was a lot of attention uh, put into the anime on. The character relationships and depicting that visually. Like the interiority of the characters, what they're feeling. And like having that expressed through body language. And in the case of Ash, like how his body is depicted.
2: Yeah, the, there are a lot of little details that the anime has. A lot, another thing that the anime does a lot with details is adding rainbows in certain scenes. With Ash and AG. like with AJ bound, there's the LGBT Uh, flag on the wall, sometimes it's on the sky, like in that scene when Ash asks Eiji to stay with him when they are looking over at the sun. The way things are present, it frames Eiji as being the sun, but there's also like a shot of Ash, it's a close-up of his face, and if you look at the background, there's a rainbow like over a building, I think. And I think they were like, I actually <laughs> had this Uh I think there's like six rainbows or so. But uh, I thought that was a very interesting detail to add. Hmm.
1: I mean, I definitely loved the use of queer lighting in the anime. Uh, and what I noticed in the early episodes. And you wrote a great article about that as well. That uh, I found a great read. And I would definitely encourage a lot of people to check that out too. But I want to also, like, now discuss uh, the Ash and A.G. relationship. Because I feel like, you know, for all the pain in banana fish, that central relationship is the beating heart that drives the entire series. That is the emotional core. That is the uh, spring of hope that, like, the series goes back to that is like meant to provide that catharsis to meant to provide that emotional line and meant to uh, spur the growth of Ash and E.G. as characters throughout the story as well. And, you know, I don't think there's anyone more passionate about that relationship than you, Marian. So I'm very interested in just your like overall thoughts on the Ash E.G. relationship in the story and like just how that develops and like just the core of that.
2: I think one of the interesting things about Ash and Eiji is that again, there there are not many many women in the story, but Ash and Eiji both can fit into feminine roles. I mean, roles that traditionally go to women, like Ash. I mean, A G is basically the superhero girlfriend. He's like, he's like the one villains go to, to kidnap or to hurt Ash constantly. And Ash has to deal with the whole people and demeaning him or overestimating him because he's too pretty, which is usually something women have to deal with more. And I also think that there are a lot of like, classic romance tropes that are usually found in like heterosexual romances that are that can be applied to Ash and AJ like that scene when Ash talks about uh, liking a girl when he was 14 and the the context where I mean when he tells AJ this is uh, he's about to send AJ away because He's afraid that A.G. can get her. And he never really has the courage to tell him that, hey, I'm sending you away, right? But he ends up telling this story instead about what happened that time when he fell in lo- I mean, when he had romantic feelings towards someone and that someone did not end well. And to me, that read like so many romances where the dude is like I'm so dangerous I have hurt other women before and now I'm in love with you when I don't want to hurt you which is not a trope I'm a big fan I'm, I'm, I especially like but it, like it's there you know and another thing that's interesting about ashineki is that in in the manga I mean in the story they definitely can come off as an asexual romance Which I think has a lot of value as representation for people who identify that way. But I also think that you can read them as a relationship that can eventually go sexual. And in that aspect, there's the Angel Eyes art book illustrations that have a lot of illustrations between Ash and AG that are just charged with sexual tension so you have like you have both options in there
1: definitely and in the context of the story i definitely think that i think that there's a lot of value in the in the fact that the ash-ag relationship wasn't sexually charged just because ash was a a victim of you know sexual abuse that f- the reason why he felt like you know uh, one of the reasons why he grow- forms a connection with AG is that Ag? you know, is one of the few people who doesn't want anything from him, but also just sees him just as a normal person, uh, and is not afraid of him, or afraid of being honest with him. Uh, I mean, you can compare with, like, his relationship with Shorter, you know, his best friend, you know, before he meets Ag, like, even in the in the backstory you read in Volume 19, like, Shorter is not necessarily like, he does grow, they grow to become friends, but, like, that relationship can't become as intimate because shorter shorter as a character is uh, you know is can is bound to follow like rules of order like of his own organization and then of the rules of prison like when he encounters ash he tells him not to make ways and to just go along with basically being sexually assaulted just to not cause trouble and so that kind of Forms an initial distrust between Ash and Shorter because obviously that's not what Ash wants, and Shorter is not necessarily looking out what for what's best with Ash, but just like what works best for this institution system. Uh, but like with A- with Ash and Ag, like Ag will never never wants Ash to do something he doesn't want to do. Ag is always looking out for Ash's happiness first and foremost, and. Again, like, he uh, he's honest with him. That's what allows Ash to just be, like, a kid around him and interact around him, like, normally. Like, that's what eBay notices, like, in, in very early on the manga, where, like he observes like you know Ash and AJ, like Ash teaching you to hold a gun and the way that they're interacting and like Ash is chipper he's happy he's laughing the moment he sees eBay though you know he grows stern and cold because people like eBay like a lot of people in Ash's life they see him in relationship to something else they don't see him for him like eBay you know came to do the report uh, on Ash like as the the gang one of the uh, youth gang leader in New York City uh, a lot of other characters see Ash in relationship to what he can do. Like, oh, he's a super awesome gang leader. Uh he's the super he's skilled, badass, he's so smart, and intelligent. Like they, they see him for like his His for characteristics, but not as a person, not as not as for his feelings, for not. And they're not interested in that, but Ag is interested in that, and so that is why they are able to form that intimate connection. That is why Ash kind of grows to become uh, dependent on Ag for, for because he's Ag is becomes the only person like he can actually like relate and vent like his his feelings towards, like vulnerable feelings that he can't express to anyone else because he has to stay guarded or professional around them.
2: Yeah, like AG AG is his rock. Mm-hmm. Definitely. With Shorter, he Shorter, I think his fate already tells you everything. Like even if he will want to like throw everything for Ash. He can't do it because he has a sister. Like, his sister life can be on the line like every time. So, he, he really has his hand tied. So, that's the thing with Shorter. And Ash and Eiji are simultaneously a couple of dumb boys and a very, <laughs> and a very merry old couple. Like,
1: the way they <laughs> interact,
2: they are simultaneously like, dumb teenagers being dumb teenagers, but the way they be care sometimes, they, they sound like an all married couple who are just like very comfortable with each other and like, you know, you know, when they make fun of each other, they don't mean it, like, they, they do it fondly.
1: Yeah, they can joke around with each other, they can flip each other off, like, insult each other's cooking or their taste in food. Like, again, they can form a relationship where they are allowed to just be genuine with each other in a way they can't be genuine about themselves to other people. And I think that's just, I I think that's one uh, aspect of it that makes the relationship stand out and, like, makes it so compelling. And... I, I don't necessarily like that. As the story goes on, characters will point to their relationship and say, "Oh, that is a weakness that you have." Ag around because he is making you soft. Uh, he is uh, someone that you you will not allow be able, uh, be able to escape if you have him around because he is he he is someone that they can use against you. There's all sorts. I I really want this, wanted the series to challenge that. And for most of the series, it seemed that, you know, that emotional connection between them it just gave Ash more strength. Like, one of the moments in the manga where Ash kind of loses the will to live essentially is like when he... You know, has he surrenders himself to Golzine because Blanca comes into the picture and will assassinate Eiji if he, you know, does not return to Golzine and like just do his bidding. And like Ash, basically, becomes uh, anorexic. He he loses the desire to eat and becomes sickly. It just has loses all the passion in life. But then, you know, he sees Eiji come to rescue him, and suddenly he gets up on his feet, and he's still weak from hunger. He's still, like, not, he's has suffered, you know, f- like, physically because of this hunger strike, but he, like, goes in the action upon seeing Eiji, and that brings him back to his old self again, and just causes him to recover, but so Ash, so Eiji is, like, really something that Ash I- li- starts uh, living for, a person that that gives Ash hope and inspiration to keep living, keep fighting, and you know pursue that freedom. Uh, and I think that's so compelling throughout the manga and it's just such a shame that in the end that Yoshida completely undermines that by having you know Ash's le- G's letter to Ash be a moment where he drops down his guard and gets him killed. Like that sucks <sighs> so there and much. Get me
2: started there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sucks uh, so much, man.
2: Yeah, a- AG definitely humanizes Ash because we, as human beings, need love to live. We all need love. And AG is such a source of love for Ash. In, in a, in, I mean, Ash water is nothing but cruel to him. And AG is everything that's warm and everything that's, that's like right in the water for Ash. And that's a source of, I mean, that's what at some point it keeps him human. Like, there's a part mm-hmm. when, I mean, before Arthur, when they are, I mean, before that climatic fight with Arthur, when they are like killing the rebel guns that are on Arthur's side, and Ash starts to like lose himself, and AG is the one who likes, throws him back, the one who calls him out, like, this is not like you, you wouldn't do this to like, I mean, you're not the kind of person who will hurt something who's innocent. I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference. Between like Ash reacting to the worst kind of people who just want to make the worst kind of thing to him and he actively going out and murdering and start to murder other teenagers for like the threat that they could be, and th- that's where a g like puts a stop to it
1: like a g becomes like his conscience and like helps Ash like really want to give up this life of taking lives and, like, this eye-for-an-eye an eye idea, and, like, they're going to kill me, so I have to kill them. And I feel like that is a, a huge point that ultimately makes Ash, you know, uh, uh, towards the end of the manga, seeing challenges Ash to a, you know, life-or-death duel, you know, because some cons- conspirators uh, with on have uh, tried to assassinate him and Ag, and so Singh wants to take responsibility in that. But like ultimately, Ash, you know, this says they're going to let it go because there's no point in continuing that violence. You know, uh, it's that's he he's ready to leave that life behind. And so I think that's like a huge moment, like in his journey, like the the ability to let go uh, as well ju- from that pursuit of revenge, from that life of violence, thanks to Ag's influence. And like him helping Ash realize that this is not the life he wants to be entrenched in, and and help him being an example of a person Ash can like aspire to be, and be an example, uh, an inspiration for like giving him an inspiration for a life he wants to live. I have really found that really inspiring. But I also really, I also really like just the contrast in like Ash's emotional journey and his pursuit of revenge to that of Wei Long. Uh, and also a mirror counterpart in Blanca. I, I like. I like. I re- like way Long as a as an antagonist. I really joins throughout the manga as like this counter. they have very similar circumstances in the sense that they are have been exploited since childhood, victims of you know a horrific tragedy and sexual assault and stuff. And but whereas you know uh, Ash has aging his life to, like, kind of encourage him, inspire him to see, pursue freedom and a better life and escape from, you know, the criminal life. Like, Wei Long, you know, he is, he's he's so entrenched in pain. He doesn't really have, or at least he doesn't think he has an age in his life, and that's why he's so resentful. He sees the influence Agee has on Ash and, like, how that is motivating him to escape, and he he hates that. He wants to bring back Ash to like that, to his worst elements that he sees as his best elements the violence, the uh, the cruelty, and because he thinks that you know they can't, people like him and Ash can't escape from the trauma and pain, they have to be trapped in this life. And so, I love that. Like, when Blanca confronts him about this, when Blanca's finally like, I can't go along with this anymore, uh, I you know, I'm going to go help Ash, and like, Waylon kind of just breaks down and also, like, kind of admits, like, why he has, throughout the story, been so persistent in trying to kill Eiji. And, like, you know, Blanca tells, uh, Weilong, you know, be kind to yourself, kinder to yourself, sir. And then ultimately, you know, Sing confronts Weilong and tells him, you know, you don't need to to do this, you know. You can let it go. And, like, it, it, Sing also, uh, you know, is becomes basically the, uh, the the AG to uh, Wei Long's ash in the sense that Sing is a person. It's not as intimate as the Ash relationship, but Sing becomes a friend that Wei Long can like uh, rely upon, and then can you know help him grow emotionally as a person and move on and let go of the pain the, tr- the trauma that i pursuit of revenge that has driven him like the anger the spite and like help him st- uh, grow a little bit emotionally and i like that comfort i like the phone call uh in garden light where the implication is that you know, Singh is uh talking to Wang Long over the phone. It shows that, you know, they've still kept in contact. They've still been like, you know, good good friends who are concerned about each other. So I I enjoy that relationship a lot and how it uh it developed and how it contrasted Ash and AGs throughout the, the story. I also really like Blanca, you know, again as a mirror counterpart to Ash, you know, as someone who also was like a child soldier for the KGB. Uh, who was also in this life of violence but he met someone he loved and who loved him and so he was encouraged to leave that life but because he also lost that person in the process and you know kind of had to like become that caused him to be a little distant emotionally but then seeing you know how ag has like dramatically changed ash and given him like uh, uh, the ability to escape, like that ultimately convinces Blanca's mind and makes him like remember like his feelings of love, and then that's why he ultimately helps like Ag, I mean Ash at the end of the day like escape from that life. He he gives up his contract with Lung and goes to his side. Like I really like Blanca's role in the story as this mentor figure slash adult counterpart, like someone who has lived the experiences uh, Ash did and has experienced but experienced the tragedy of losing the person. Loves and then, like now, seeing himself in Ash and then wanting to have a happier ending for Ash. Even again, the manga itself does not give that to us, but you know, yeah, you know, there are there are good <laughs> thematic parallels between these characters that I really enjoyed through this manga. I thought it was really good with that for most part. Uh,
0: can, 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 you know, can we can we can we talk about the ending? I feel like we're getting to that point in the show where we need to talk about it. Cause I, I, I have some feelings.
1: Yeah, so. I wanna just start off by saying when I initially read the chapter in of itself and did not read the rest of volume, I hadn't read the rest of volume yet, but like my initial reaction to just reading the sequence of events was like, huh is there is there supposed to be a degree of ambiguity here because we've seen Ash survive worse than this, surely he can't he won't just die from loud. maybe there's this idea of ambiguity to the ending, what Ash like smiling looking at a g s letter. And like so, maybe maybe it's this. I, I leaving off on this. Maybe they will see it again, or maybe Ash died, but he died happy because he had AG in his life. You know, there's but it's ambiguous, so you can take it both ways. But then you read Garden alive, you're like, oh no, Ash did die, and now Ag is forever haunted by. Like his love of Ash and the fact that he'll never be able to see him again. And 10 years later, he's not been able to move on. It's only 10 years later that he's even been able to look at pictures of Ash, but for the rest of his life, he'll never learn to love again or get over Ash. That fucking sucks, man. That's, that's not Thank romantic. You, you that. That's not romantic <laughs> at it. all. That's not. I think the idea of that, from Yoshida's perspective, is that she she might have thought that was like a romantic, and oh, Ash will always have Eiji's heart in debt. But that sucks. No, that's that's cruel. That's I, that sucks. People I, 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 I are living with end, depression trauma forever because <laughs> <laughs> guilt that that the person he loved died and might be because of his letter. It sucks. That's terrible. That's not a good message for a story that is about that has been for eight, over eighteen volumes. A story about Ash trying to escape and find a better life, like. What does that say for uh, real life victims that they cannot find their happiness? Uh, it's uh, it's lucky that you have Wei in the story, you know, as someone who does survive that. But it's not like he escapes the criminal element. Like the point of Asher's story is that he was supposed to escape that life and live his best life.
2: I don't want to. I don't want to. To like. I mean. Jotlun doesn't really, really survive because, I mean, Yoshida has other series that are in the same world that Banana Fish and in Yasha, it has Sing as one of the characters and in that manga, Jotlun dies, by oh, the way, so great. not even not even gets gets away.
1: Oh my god. Damn it.
2: No, it just, it's such a bad ending, like, it's not even a case where, oh no, the sad gays suck, but the teens are there. No, it undermines so many freaking things, so many freaking teens. Like, you have Max telling us, you know what, this is bullshit, you don't have to be hung by this, you are more than this. You can live after this, and he burns the pictures.
0: I love that moment the, yeah, of, that of Ash.
2: It's such a great moment. And then you have A. G, the person who loves Ash the most, the person who has always see, seen Ash as just the boy he is, telling him, you know what? Get away with this Hemingway Emma bullshit. You are a human being. You're not a looper. You're not an animal. The destinies are, your destiny is like not up there in the stars. We can make choices, you know? And then you have that... Freaking ending it just like why would you even bother doing all this, all these uplifting things with For victims and then have Ash die like that as if his life. I mean he spends the whole manga Fighting for a chance to live like that's it all he wants was a chance to live and be free and he never gets that chance it's just such a it's such a horrible message to survivors like it's like your life doesn't matter if you have been abused like you are damaged goods like the only way you can be saved is like through death like there's no other way like the fact that Ash is happy with dying like that I I have so many freaking issues with that like happiness in death for a young boy who has never had a chance to live and who has been abused Whole, his whole life like can you see how wrong that is like what
1: yeah that's a bad message
0: yeah i i, I was not a fan of this ending either you know i i i would have even been fine with like i don't know like i i would have even been fine with like a lady snowblood kind of ending where it's like you spend your entire well not his entire life but you spend a good portion of your life trying to get revenge against the people who have wronged you and whatnot And I think if certain things were tweaked, I think I would have been okay with, uh, with somebody Ash had to kill because he had no choice coming. Like, I I would have been okay with, like, one of Ash's choices coming back to kind of bite him in the end. Like, I think I, I think I personally could have been okay with that kind of ending. And I think that's what, I think that's what the series is trying to go for with having that, with having, uh, what's his name? Yao? Yao?
2: lao yeah
0: thank you Lau, uh with is with, with lao going manga. to kill him
1: <laughs> i hate Lao. he sucks yeah, uh, because he's so annoying well, see, well, like, oh, I see my, my thing Ash, is i right? i think
0: i think it would have been honestly i think it would have made more sense for if, if, if again if things were tweaked i think i think it would have made more sense for maybe sing to come after him at some point maybe but but but, that, but then you would have to change. I think you would have to rework his entire arc, though.
1: You would like it <laughs> wouldn't make sense with where like the story had left off. Ash and Sting's relationship, the way it had developed, it's uh, in the last couple of volumes of the story. Like they trust each other. They don't have beef with each other. Like there's no reason for for them to want to kill each other. That's why they don't have that fight to the death. But like Lau is an Lau is a, such an annoying character.
2: Personally, I I'm not okay with Ash dying, like, period. Because look, you have all sorts of people in this manga doing all sorts of terrible things. Even the good guys, like everyone and their mother, has killed someone here. I said a g but <laughs> everyone has killed. Even Jessica, like, appeared for two seconds at the end and to like kill someone and say Max and whatever, and they never face any consequences for it. Like, yeah. Nope. Ash is the only one here who ever even thinks about the fact that he has been forced to kill people and he even feels guilty about the fact that he's like so detached from it that it gets to him and you know when you have this kind of story it's not really about whether or not your action hero kills people because these are not really considered people these are faceless nameless henchmen and two-dimensional villains and like pure evil so in, in these cases it's about what's in the heart of the person and not so much in the actions and the fact that Ash laments having to do these things is a testament to the goodness in his heart but he's the only one that gets punished for it like you have Jessica and Singh who has killed you and they go on and have second chances and they get their romances and their I mean their heterosexual romances and their traditional families and Ash and AG get absolutely screwed over and I think that not only is like, I mean it speaks to the conservative and like heteronormativity of the time, but it also undermines the themes of newfound families in the manga because you have a lot of of children here that have been failed by adults and the system and they have to like rely on each other and take matters into their own hands. And the fact that at the end this seems to say that what really is valuable here is like the sexual family, like the traditional family really undermines that. Like Ash is the only one who gets killed and Eiji lives forever traumatized and destroyed by this. I mean, it's just hard not to think about it, like, just a traditional, sad, gay ending of the era, and I say this like very generalizing, because there's even movies in in the 80s that have like, good, hopeful ending. My Beautiful Laundry has a good ending for the gay couple, and Banana Fish references that movie in one illustration, by the way. And the fact that Ash is a survivor changed everything for me. This is not your average action hero who does, like, bad things and then has to pay for it. This is a survivor from rape and human trafficking who's killing some fuckers that are pedophiles and, like, I, I, I'm I, so fucking angry. <laughs> I get so out <laughs> when I think about this. <laughs> Thank you, Yoshida. This is someone who survives some of the worst things that can happen, and he's getting back as some of the worst people that can't exist. And the fact that he has to pay for it—it's just so wrong. And yeah. I don't really—it's pretty think unfair. You can, yeah, like you can divorce Ash dead from his status as a survivor, and. I think one of the values in Ash Carter even is the fact that he works as a power fantasy for women, for people who have been abused. I mean, who have been from any form of abuse. Like Ash is overpowered, but it doesn't matter because he needs to be overpowered to deal with the huge pile of shit that he's deal that he has to deal with.
1: Yeah, like where is the catharsis in having? This character, who is meant to be a power fantasy and meant to be someone who you can latch onto if you have been, like, a victim of trauma and abuse to, like, live up with your fantasies of escape and having that character die. That really sends a bad message and it's just disheartening.
0: Between that and, like, not even getting the final shot on Golzine, Golzine basically just takes himself out after, uh, like, after taking out Fox, like, between both of those, like, yeah. I, yeah, uh, needless to say, I wasn't very happy with this ending for Banana Fish. I, I got kind of pissed because uh, um, I went into the last volume not, like, I had no idea, because volume 19 is basically, yeah, just that last chapter of Banana Fish, and then the, the extra bonus material with basically Shorter and Ash's backstory of how they met each other, and then Basically, the 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 final like real epilogue chapter, um, I'm ass- which I'm assuming came later, and when I sat down to read volume nineteen, I was really really surprised at like you know how it, j- it like without that epilogue chapter, because I, I I feel like the one good thing to come out of this ending w- because the 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 thing that came to mind for me at first was well does AG know? Like, are we just, are we ever, are we just not gonna find out, like, how he feels about this? Like, I th- I think, I think if we didn't get that perspective, I, I would hate this ending even more. Like, I, man, I'm, I'm glad we got that last epilogue chapter, because it, it, I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of like, I mean, obviously, Eiji is obviously very heartbroken about Ash dying, and that's really sad, and I, I feel sorry for him, but, like, you know, I'm I'm just glad we even got any kind of epilogue after uh, like at all because like man, I can't imagine being a fan of Banana Fish and keeping up with this in its in its magazine releases and reading that final chapter and being like, what the fuck, that's it? Like, what happens after that?
2: <laughs>
1: I'm not. I hated that epilogue
2: chapter. Personally, I would kind of prefer like I don't know these open. I mean. Th- if you just end there, you kinda like could thing, okay, but maybe he does survive this. Maybe Yeah, like, there's a degree here, of ambiguity. You know, and you know, and in the the epilogue, I mean in Garden of Like, I feel like it's like such I mean It's misery. It shows it shows you AG being so punished for daring to love someone like that's it all AG ever did was loving ash and he fucking paid for it and i just i just can't see anything to like about garden of light like the whole time i was reading it i was like so so pissed like why would you do this to ag like what did he ever do to you he's such a nice boy why would you do this to him
1: (laughs) yeah it's like garden of light makes it so that none of the characters who have suffered in this manga have a happy ending like they're all trapped all the survivors are trapped by guilt over what happened to Ash and can't move on from it he especially is haunted by his death and has never moved on he sees a look like an Ash like on the street, and he goes running up to him, and it's like he's he's forever trapped in this, and even with the small bit of development he gets, and like finally being able to look at his pictures, it's still not grok he's still not able to l- let go move on with his life he's still it's the implication is that he's still forever going to be chasing the memory of Ash and trapped in those memories and it sucks it's not it's it's cruel for a what did Agee do to deserve like such a torturous life?
2: Yeah, and the fact that he sees random blonde people on the street and he runs to them and grabs them as if he could see Ash again it tells you that there's a part of him that still expects Ash to come back and why would you do that to him? That's
1: too mean. That's really mean. But like I, like, I so much would have preferred if there was no uh, epilogue chapter, and there's no word of God from Yoshida that said ashes, that I would have so much preferred if the last chapter was published, that is, and had that ambiguous ending, because I read an interview extra where Yoshida said that she had a Shida no jo in mind when she was writing this ending. And so, like, I can definitely see that in this ending, like, especially this just this idea that we the final shot of Ashley's last, him smiling, sleeping and smiling. It's not like that Ash said. So, like, the ending, the ending of Ashina no Joe, like, it's often misconstrued that at the end of Ashina no Joe, Joe dies. That's not the ending of Ashina no Joe. That's not how we're supposed to interpret it. Like, it is supposed to be this ambiguous ending. Like, the point of the ending of a, a Joe, we Joe, why we see him slumped over that chair, smiling, that shot of him, is, like, Joe has just fought the best match of his life. He's overcome so much hardship, pain, uh, to, and, and endured to get here. And he did not win the match against Jose Mendoza, but he had the moral victory. Like, he gave the world champ a match that he had never experienced before, like, one of the best matches in history, his best match in history, his best uh, boxing in history. He gave everything he had and he, you see him slumped over the chair, satisfied with that, you know? Like, there's all this build-up in the story that makes you, that leads you to believe, oh, is Joe... Dead at the end of the *Manga*, but it's not supposed to be the point. In fact, like the alternate ending of *Mushin no Joe*, like one of the original intended endings, is that the final shot of Joe, you just see him like on a porch, and he's like like looking out, and and like Yoko Shiraki is like smiling at him, and like that's you know there's like it's the end. The original like the one of the original endings is that Joe lives. And like the, the, the ending that everyone knows it for, that is, the ending is still not that Joe dies. The ending is that the point of the story is that Joe, who was like an orphan kid who had to struggle all his life and who had worked his way up from the slums, from the bottom to become one of the greatest boxers in the world to Compete in the world championship. You know, the point was that he succeeded. He achieved the happiness he wanted. He lived his best life. That's what the ending of Banana Fish could have been. The point could have been, like, we had this degree of ambiguity of whether Ash would survive. But the point could have been Ash lived his best life. And he met Eiji, he's given hope-driven purpose to live for the future. And if you just let the final shot as is, like, you could, you don't have to interpret it as that Ash is dying. Because, again, we've seen Ash suffer so much worse before. We have, the person who is saying Ash won't survive this is so unreliable and no shit. Wow, we're supposed to trust Lao's word on this? The guy who doesn't know anything? true wow so if you if you had just left the ending as is and did not have garden of life you could have had that meaning it could have had like this significance and there could have been value in the ambiguity and that is totally destroyed by garden of life and it just makes the ending cruel
0: uh, i don't know i i feel like i disagree in that i'm i don't know i i i think in this case specifically i think the ambiguity would have just pissed me off more honestly <laughs> uh, but that 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 is just me.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's just choosing your battles. I will come prefer to be pissed like that than to be pissed after witnessing what happened to AG. Like I'm more yeah. pissed now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, either way, this sucks. All right, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah,
2: yeah. And <laughs> I remember like reading somewhere that and Yoshida really liked the concept of. Dying after your soulmate goes away, and that Ash is happy because because the fact that he's dead means that Eiji is his forever, and that's just so fuck it. Like, come on, this is such a healthy, wholesome relationship. Why will you ruin it like this?
1: Yeah, that that taints what was otherwise a positive relationship because it makes it possessive. That in that age, Ash has possessed Eiji's heart and will keep him from being able to move on from the heartbreak and pain. That is that is cruel. That is not uh, romantic or satisfying in any way.
2: Yeah, and Ash will never. Like, this is someone who was willing to kill himself without a second thought, just to keep Aegis safe, and why will he, like, choose to be the one who hurts Aegis the most? Like, come yeah, on.
1: It makes no sense for Ash to do that, at all.
2: Like he has a letter that literally tells him, "I want to see you again. Come with me." And he just—I mean—he just, I mean, just die? Like, come on! What what is going on here? <laughs> and I have seen—I have seen takes where I like where I like the point is that A. G. save Ash's Soul or whatever, but that's not enough. That's not enough. That like there's still—he never had a chance to live yet. He does—it it doesn't erase all the negativity that comes from this and I, I think there's also like this is like uh, just the icing on the top there's such a bad editorial decision because when you pick up Vogue 19 you open and you are received by an illustration of Ash in Eiji, Nake in Beth right and then you read the chapter and it's just Ash dying
0: yeah I, th- I thought that was weird
2: Yeah, I have seen people on Twitter being like, I hate that illustration because I thought that meant they were uh, that they will end together and then the ending happened and it's just such and this is like you can say this is a reach or something. This is something that just came to me when I was thinking about the barrier gaze business that went on in this show The Hundred, you know, when they kill Lexa. Uh, I don't know if you if you all hear about it, but you know, Barrier Gaze, it's basically when you have, like, two people that are, like, they have a chance to be happy. Sometimes they even have sex. And then afterwards, one of them is killed. And that evokes imagine- imagery from the Barrier Gaze trope, Like, Ash and A. G in that intimate moment. And then Ash goes running to A. G. to a chance to be with A. G And that's when he gets stabbed. And that's when he dies. Like... Come on,
1: yeah, like it from what I understand, Yoshida had it in mind from the beginning that Ash would die, and i don't I think she fell into this trap that I feel a lot of writers do is that they have this destination in mind, but the story evolves in ways where the destination they plan doesn't make sense anymore, but they refuse to change what the destination is
2: yeah, I can I definitely agree with that.
1: Yeah, it's like, like, with Game of Thrones recently. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry. Like, in Midnight Cowboy, which is the movie that she, that she mentions that's having a huge impact on her, I mean, I feel like she watched Midnight Cowboy and whatever she saw on that ending impact her so much that she wanted to recreate that in her own world. Whatever it takes.
1: Yeah, but it, it just didn't work with the story she was telling. I don't think she she fully grasped like in a sense the responsibility of like telling a story about a survivor trying to escape to a better life and then ending it the way they did ending it with tragedy and then just laying on more pain by having the debt of that person in- incur more tragedy for the p- for people who loved him like it it was i don't think it was a well taught out message at all and apparently like there at some point she was she did consider an ending where like ash would survive and the ending was would just be you know they sur- uh, survive it's not necessarily that ash and Angie would have gone together but like I, I so would have preferred that an ending where ash survives and has a chance to live his best life and i really am sad that she stuck to her guns in this case and did the ending she hadn't planned to do but it, in this case I don't think that was the correct decision for the story
2: yeah like I think l- ma- letting Ash live and finally had the chance like you don't even have to get specific just give him that chance to live it will have made Banana Fish so much more powerful and it will have age a lot better like it will have sent a better message and it would have validated her teams of newfound family and not having to be defined by tragedy and the bad things that happens to you and you know it it was just it would have just been so much better in this case i'm not even calling for a happily ever after because obviously it would have been rough for him but that's no reason to kill him
1: yeah like obviously he would still have to you know live with the trauma and live with like all the the experiences he's had and maybe even some feelings of guilt but the point could be like he can learn to grow and like again live his best life like he does not have to suffer for the situation he was put in where he had had no control over the situation he's put in he was a victim he should be allowed to find happiness
2: yeah, even th- that last scene with A.G. and the cops, the cops themselves are, are like, Ash is a victim here. Like, when, he, they, when they ask uh, A.G. where Ash is, like, we we don't want when they're like, we don't want to hurt Ash, we just, we're like, he's just a victim, we want to help him. And like, how know, where how I don't know, tone deaf you have to be to put that scene just before uh, and you kill him. Because, uh, God damn, it, I'm so tired of this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but Banana Fish is a series that it, it definitely leaves a lot of complicated feelings. But I think it is incredibly fascinating just because of how much is going on in it just in terms of just what's in the text and also the meta-text perspective of the influences Yoshida's pulling from, and like the cultural political climate of the time that influenced it like it's a really it really is a fascinating series and I definitely have in the while reading and spent a lot of time thinking about it I did like I wanted to do a lot of research and prep for this uh, podcast and (laughs) I didn't even get to address on all the notes I had taken uh I had a lot of stuff on the the history political stuff at the time that but, but we don't need to go into but again I think there banana fish is a dense text that I think is deserving of like uh, a classic says it's deserving of like analysis and appreciation even if it is such a frustrating read at times I think there's still so much there's to value I mean not just from the historical perspective from the emotional perspective I did for the most, I did until the ending truly get enjoy the Ash agey relationship. I find Ash an incredibly compelling and fascinating character that you know I really love exploring and seeing him develop throughout the story. I found so many of the characters really compelling and lovable and interesting, like there's so much to love in the Nath-ish, and I think that's the reason why the story has endured in spite of all of its the frustrating elements in spite of that ending.
2: Yeah, and I think also another strain this has is that it leaves a lot of blank spaces for you. And some people walk away talking about the political elements, and some walk away talking about like the war and the military. And if you have previous knowledge of this, I feel like that really informs the way you see the manga and the way you enjoy it, like... Personally, I see Banana Fish as kind of like a Jake of all trades, master of none, because uh, I don't think like the political conspiracy can be like the the biggest takeaway or the huge, um, or like the, the best part of it. Uh, and I know people who are really into politics and bring all their knowledge into it and project and see connections with real life, even if they were not intentional. And they do walk away thinking that's, like, the strongest part of it. And, like, the way fans feel in the about Banana Fish and the way they think away from it are just so very, so different and... That also reaffirms like its status as having a crossover appeal, I think. Um, even visually in the manga, like, is it doesn't make a lot of effort for to like manipulate your emotions. Like it leaves things open, especially with characters like Yulung, for example. Like we could talk about Yulung for for days and days because he is a mystery and the manga never tries to like direct your thoughts in any direction. Like it lets him be a complete mystery.
1: Yeah. I think that's what makes uh, the mark of a great piece of art is that you can, there are so many different aspects to a piece, to the work that you can appreciate and latch onto and fall in love with. And Banana Fish definitely has so many different elements to it that, you know, bring gives it such that broad appeal and allows for mm-hmm. uh such you know passionate study and also passionate appreciation for which you know to me like banana fish the it ha- definitely inspired in me like a definite uh passion to learn more about it in a way that you know few series. do so i i do so like for me that's the mark of a really special series is like that that like i made me want to go through all this uh, uh, research to learn as much as i could about it uh, for the purposes of this podcast but also you know (laughs) i i had trouble like sleeping last night because i was just thinking about like all the things i was gonna say today like thinking about the story how i felt about it Like, the things I was thinking about. So, you know, I, Banana Fish, you know, uh, I guess in the same way that uh, Ash has captured, like, A.G.'s heart and mind. Like, Banana Fish definitely has done the same way uh, for me. It's definitely a story I think I'm going to keep thinking about. And uh, I'm definitely curious, you know, to continue to engage with it both critically and now as just as a fan as well. So I'm really glad to have finally read this series. And I guess I, I, I just am wondering from uh, you, the rest you rest of you guys and, and just in general, what would you say is, I guess, the chief value of Banana Fish? You know, the thing that you latch onto the story and you got the most out of. Uh, and do you think that Banana Fish, you know, it's definitely a story of its time, but do you think it, that it still has just as much power uh, today for new readers, for people coming into it? And then what how would you recommend the series uh to other people? Like what would you say to them uh if they were interested in reading the series?
2: Yeah, for me I mean I remember before the anime premiere, I think it was on the website that people ask questions to random people like, Do you know what banana fish and what do you remember from it? And everyone everyone answered like Ash. Ash is the best thing, Ash, Ash. And <laughs> even when people mention AG, it was like what A. G did to Ash, you know, it was Ash, all Ash. And I personally think the most enduring quality of Banana Fish is definitely in the protagonist, in the main character, in Ash, that like there's just so many things that Ash represents, so many things that Ash can be. And it's the in it's in the heart of Banana Fish. That's his relationship with with A g because now let's suppose AG was a girl. suppose this was a story I mean everything is just like that, but Ash fell in love with a girl, suddenly, the story will have been so different And to me it will have just crashing her because it will become like an area of being saved by stray love like to me like there's definitely. I mean, Ash and Eiji is definitely a big part of what makes Banana Fish endure. The I mean, the heart of Banana Fish is definitely what makes it endure. And that doesn't mean the plot doesn't matter. I mean, it's definitely an engrossing plot, and there's a lot you can say about it. And there's definitely a lot you can say about the anime choices as well, and how the anime adds to the story visually like all those little details like I mentioned Jyulung being a mystery and the anime as the detail of his eyes being purple and purple is the color of mystery and when he has like these close-ups he has these purple eyes you know how they say that the eyes are the like the window to the soul and when when we when we talk to people we say like look into my eyes and tell when we want them to be honest because we feel like if we look into their eyes we can see like the truth or whatever. And Julon has purple eyes and that's like a way of the anime reaffirms that he is a complete mystery and we can just access into what's in his heart. And I will say that the one thing that makes Fish so great it's the human element. Because all that plot it's nothing Without all those characters to love, without the lovable, uh, the lovable guns, without Max' relationship with Ash, that that's like a surrogate father for him, like the one father figure he, the one adult he can trust. Like all the teams that work on, I mean the that you can get away from the human element. Those are the things that, to me, make Vanadis fish endure and stay with you. Because I don't know about y'all, but personally, if I don't like the characters, if I don't connect with anyone, uh, a story will hardly stay with me, even if it's like incredibly good.
0: Oh, definitely.
2: So to me, that's why. Anna, I mean, is the the fact that it's so engrossing and the fact that it has such I mean, and there's such a high quality in the, the human element that's what makes banana fish like really capture you i feel
0: um i guess just to kind of go off of that um personally i I thought banana fish was enjoyable overall again a a lot of caveats everywhere uh a lot of uh i guess you could call them problematic problematic i'll say that again (laughs) um a lot of problematic elements here and there um that unfortunately haven't aged well but uh you know, there's a lot in here that I thought was really interesting. Like, I, I really want to thank Marion for uh, for bringing this up late uh, earlier on the show, because this was something I was going to bring up was, uh, again, the exploration of sexual assault and rape culture through the eyes of a male character, um, which is, is, is something I don't feel like I see in a lot of media. Not, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist in media, because I'm sure maybe there are other stories I just haven't seen for myself, but... It's a viewpoint I don't come across very often at all, but when I do, I I really appreciate it because it's like we were saying earlier. You know, um, men are just as capable of being victims as anyone, and I think that's a really important viewpoint to uh, to showcase every once in a while. Um, so I I really appreciated that aspect of Banana Fish in particular, uh, kind of looking back on it, and uh, and you know there are certain like not to get too political, but, like, very, very like, um, I, how do I say it? Like, uh, v- very, like, uh, basic political aspects that I think are, are very, uh, relatable in our modern society, whether it be just how fucking disgusting the rich can be, and, you know, how, unfortunately, you know, if you have enough money, you can just kind of do whatever, and, uh, you know, those kinds of things are, I think, are, are universal, thankfully, when it comes to storytelling and uh, you know, I think are very uh relatable to a lot of people, especially currently, I think. Um just a lot of that kind of stuff that I think has only aged well with time. Um and just a lot of, just a lot of that kind of stuff I really appreciated. But uh I also agree that it's it really is the human element of Banana Fish that really kept me that really kept me reading uh otherwise a lot of the stuff I a lot of the stuff I mentioned wouldn't wouldn't mean as much, I guess. Um, and I, I, I would say overall, it's, it's definitely worth the read, no matter how many caveats we give it, like, it's very much worth your time. And thankfully, at the time of this recording, like, I, I was wondering, I was wondering whether it would be possible, you know, by the time we recorded this, but uh, it's now not only has it been reprinted in print, uh, but it's also all available digitally too so now um, more people have access to it which is good
2: yeah and and since you mentioned like the rich and the powerful and how they manipulate our lives and I think there are a lot of elements in that sense that are just unfortunately timeless yeah which is why I was like never too concerned about banana fish not taking place in the 80s like I mean there are definitely things that work better and have more context if it is in the 80s but like the story doesn't fall apart if you bring it over to like 2018 like there's a lot in there that just unfortunately still applies
1: Mm Mhm, for sure yeah the characters at the center of it the heart of the center of it that's timeless and I think that's a a good note to I guess wrap up the the podcast and our discussion of Nana Fish. I like, we covered a lot of ground, even though I'm sure there's more ground to cover with the series. But I think that's why, I, like, it's great that I think that you know there's continue to be more discourse and analysis of the series.
2: One thing I do want to mention before wrapping it up is something that I really really appreciate is the character design in the anime. That's so diverse and so so human, like i know it's a low bar (laughs) but it's a low bar that unfortunately a lot of media just doesn't cover Mm -hmm. like like we mentioned there's a lot of interesting things that banana fish does like politically but to me the fact that banana fish indulge in anti-black caricatures just really really undermines a lot of its points and i just really really like like the fact that I can watch the anime and black people look like actual people and they're lightened in the way that takes, like, that, that takes attention to their skin tone. I, I really appreciate that. And I, <laughs> like, honestly, I don't care if you, said this story in 2030 again, as long as you keep giving me that good shit, thank you
1: yeah, that <laughs> made, made a lot of really good modernization choices and that was one that I was very thankful to see uh, as much as I like Kane as a character especially, I think the character is great, like yeah, I It's very... uh, It wasn't great seeing these Sambo caricatures of the nanafish. Fish. So I really appreciate the revamped character designs in the anime. But yeah, I mean, that's what I think is great about uh, revisiting and uh, reinterpreting, readapting uh, material from the past is that there's always room to... Like where you can improve on it, where you can take a piece of art that someone has made and then kind of add your own ideas to it and then modernize it for uh, a new audience. I, you know, there are definitely some ways that the the banana fish anime probably could even gone a step further, especially in regards to the ending. But I think just overall, that was it's a really superbly made, intelligently made uh, uh, piece of art that, like, you know, takes the sort the best elements of the source material and smooths out some of the edges and uh, just makes it, it just brings up the best parts of the story but Marion, I will want to thank you for coming on the show and talking Banana Fish with us like uh, we're, you know, again this is a series that, you know uh, we, I, I was really keen to talk about it and go like really in depth on it and you know there was no better person to talk about it with, so
2: thank you Thank you for inviting me like uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm close to moving on, but then again, I, I there's like always so many things <laughs> I can say about it. And I just really, really love what this story... I mean, I'm really thankful that this story created Ash and AG because they just give me endless content just thinking about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like that meme that I've seen going around lately, a smiling... Just thinking about X and like uh, definitely with Banafish, like smiling. Just thinking about Ag, like these <laughs> these characters give just give you joy to think about.
2: <laughs> Again, I really love the character designs in the anime. Like, there's so much going on with the way Ag is designed and law. He's such a good boy. I love him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Meiji is so adorable in the in the anime. Like, uh, there are some really cute expressions with him. It, it really brings out the innocence in his design.
2: It's a natural cuteness. Like, it, it's not like the the kind of like kawaii we are used in anime that's over the top and like she's sweet. It, it's a natural type of cuteness with A. G that makes sense in the context of the story and it and just, it just sets him apart from the cruel world of Banana Fish. Like just this incredibly adorable, strong human being. He's so good.
1: Yeah, it really comes across in his characterization, his personality. And yeah, like there's a lot to love about A. G. Uh but you know, for more thoughts on Ash and Age-y, more like daily, you know, pics of uh, A- A- Ash and AG Just, uh, just more discussion of not just banana fish, but other like uh, series that you're really passionate about. Like, where can people find you, like on social media, and read up on stuff you've written about? Uh, you know, so like, where can people find you?
2: Um, on Twitter, my handle is Eccentric and like. That's where I am. Like, that's that's all my stuff, my links, and all out of my profile. And yeah, that's it.
1: Thanks once again to Miriam for coming on the show and sharing her insights into banana fish. This was a series that I was really Glad to have read and thanks once again To our listeners For choosing it in our survey Earlier this year I'm really glad We finally got a chance to read it and I'm glad to finally covered Another shoujo series on the show and another BL series on the show and uh, Yeah so I think Now we'll go into some community Shoutouts and the first community shoutout I think I want to give is Marion and check out Her blog Otaku Shiro uh, she has a lot of pieces on Banana Fish, several of which we mentioned during the episode, and they're great companion pieces to uh, reading the series or watching the series because she goes into some great character analysis, some great analysis of the filmmaking in the show in particular and color choices, shot choices. So that was very fascinating to like uh, reference as I was watching the anime. And as I was reading the manga. But I also want to reference uh, some of Marion's freelance article work that she's done uh, outside of her own blog. Including a piece she wrote recently on another classic shoujo title for anime Feminist, A piece about Rose Rosa Versailles titled Every Rose Has Its Thorns," Vilifying female ambition in the Rose Rosa Versailles where she goes... And analyzes how Rose of Versailles vilifies characters, female characters, who have ambitions of power, like Jeanne and Madame du contrasting them with more sympathetic uh, female characters in Rose of Versailles, like Rosalie, or even Mary Antoinette, how those are characters who are also, you know, very strong in their own right, but because they don't have ambitions of power necessarily... The show frames them as more morally right than characters like John, who, like, dreams of power and schemes to be in a position of power. And Marion does a great job, like, picking apart... Like, how the show is very unfair in its vilification of women who pursue power when it is much more lenient towards, like, men in the series who are just as despicable. So, this is a really good piece on the Rose of Versailles," and I just want to reference that. But, yeah, again, check out Marion's work on her blog, her YouTube channel, all her pieces on Anime Feminist. She does great stuff. But I also want to spotlight a new podcast that's coming out. About, uh, not a shoujo series, but a shonen jump series That is currently making waves and turning heads And that series is Jujutsu Kaisen And that podcast is Positive Juju Which is being hosted by none other than Jujutsu Kaisen's official... Uh, English language translator for the series for With Media, Stefan Koza. He's recently started up a uh, Jujutsu Kaisen podcast. In the first episode, he goes over the what the series is about, what it makes it unique, uh, kind of goes over the character popularity point and what it says about like what fans are responding to about the series. Really good stuff. And I'm really happy that uh, there's a Jujutsu Kaisen podcast, especially this early on into the series' run. And I wanted to give that a shout out, uh, props to Stefan for that, and definitely check that out if you're a fan of the series.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I actually have a podcast as well that I want to talk about for my community shout-out, uh, and that is the Kawaii Five O podcast hosted by uh Lisa and Alex. Uh Lisa in particular is uh I'm I'm not sure if I've talked about her on on the show before, but uh I kind of put her in the same category as I do Grant, where if you're not following her on Twitter, like you really should be, because Lisa in general is just a really funny comedian who also happens to be an anime fan, and um, I think you can still see a clip of her stand-up pinned to her Twitter account, and uh, I think she's the only comedian I've ever seen who's been able to like incorporate anime into her stand-up. Uh, and actually, like make it work and make it kind of funny. Uh, I don't just just in general, Lisa I think is a very funny person who who I really enjoy seeing post online, and I also enjoy interacting with. Uh, I've also podcasted with her uh, here and there on stuff like life lessons and whatnot. But yeah, so she's cool. And then um, her friend Alex is also pretty cool as well. From uh, what I've heard on the Kawaii Five O podcast, um, I think he in particular is like a newer anime fan because he's only seen like. Less than a handful of shows, so it's really interesting to kind of get his takes on the anime he watches. Uh, not just that, but also like the community as well. I don't know, so I, I always enjoy like a fresher perspective on anime and the community and whatnot. So I always enjoy uh listening to what he has to say. But uh, Kawaii Five O in general is another anime podcast that uh they basically just started up. Um, I think it's Lisa's first podcast, I know she's done like guest spots before but this is her first time actually hosting a podcast um and I'm, I'm about five episodes in and i have to say i think they've been doing a really good job um i really enjoy uh listening to both lisa and alex kind of work off of each other and discuss uh, all kinds of different topics such as like you know how they feel about different like uh in anime uh who their favorite like main characters are uh their favorite like anime movies and whatnot uh they even played like little games at the end that i think are pretty creative and fun in, in general kawaii 50 just is basically just listening to conversations between lisa and alex about anime and uh that's that's really that's really all you need i think like i i think their show is fun and they really make it a point to be as like in- inclusive as possible uh they're very against like the gatekeeping that kind of goes on not not just not just in the anime community but like really in any, like, fandom in in general, like, you're you're never gonna not see them in any fandom, unfortunately, but, uh, they really make it a point to kind of, like, fight against that, and I, I really appreciate that about their show in particular. So, yeah, they're, they're very active about, like, engaging with their listenership, and, uh, you know, those are the kind of shows that I can really get behind. Um, but anyway, yeah, if anybody's, like, interested in listening to the show, uh, I think they're basically available on like wherever you download podcast. I know they're on Apple. Uh, I think they're on Spotify, Podbean, really wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, and I know they have a Twitter account as well, which you could follow at kawaii five zero. Uh, that's the actual spelling of the word five, and then zero. So kawaii five zero, um, and so yeah, uh, we'll we'll obviously leave a link to uh, that show in the show notes. And uh, I hope everybody gives uh, gives it a listen and enjoys. Again, uh, like I said, if you're not following Lisa in particular, you should. I guess I might as well let people know where you can like follow her as well, because uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Wisa Wallen. That's a little confusing, but I think that's kind of the joke. Uh, which uh, I think that's spelled uh, W i s a l a l l e n. Uh, and I think you can also follow Alex at the Funny Pence. Um, so. Go follow both of them, really. Um, and uh, I think that's pretty much it for my community shout-out.
1: hmm Definitely need to give that a listen uh, myself. I love Lisa's comedy, and her new podcast sounds like a real fun time.
0: hmm for sure, for sure. Um, but I think that is about it for community shout-outs. And, uh, yeah, I-, I think overall this was a really good episode. Uh, I don't know about next episode at this point. Either we're going to cover news or we're going to talk about something. It's kind of up in the air at this point. But, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to say anything at this point because I don't want to accidentally be wrong about the next episode.
1: Well, one thing you can be sure about is that on the next episode we will talk about manga.
0: That's true. That this is very true. That is that is the one
1: the one consistent guarantee <laughs> you will always get with this show.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much, yeah. I mean, if we can guarantee anything, we will talk about manga. Um, but yeah, I think uh I think that's a good note to end the show on. Uh Lum, where can the good people find you?
1: You can find me at LoneRomayasha on Twitter and it's LoneRomayasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation, Annie Lift, wherever there's Lone that's where you can find me. You can read my reviews of manga, anime, movies, and sort of all sorts of stuff on all-common.com as well as find my other podcast, hashtag Lone Squad, which well will continue eventually if it hasn't already.
0: All right, Uh, definitely go follow all of their stuff, uh, as well as my stuff, too. I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. And this would normally be the part where I plug all my stuff, but you know what? The best place where you could find all of my podcasts, or at least links to all my other podcasts, is at uh, my personal blog at ColtonCorner.WordPress.com. Haven't made much use of it at this point. I think I have like one thing written on there. Um, it, it's just, it's just kind of a place for basically if I have an idea about something I actually want to write about, that's basically where it will go. Um, but for now, I have a section of the blog where basically you can find links to all my podcasts, including Life Lessons, One Podcast Prevails, uh, The Poltergeist Report, uh, and just so much more. Um, if you're interested in listening to any of my other stuff, uh, that's where you can find it. Again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. And um, I guess as for the Manga Mavericks podcast, uh, you can find every episode of the podcast first over at uh, all-comic.com, unless you are a patron and you are subscribed to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Um, If you sign up for our $2 tier, uh, you will not only get our thanks, but uh, you'll also get certain podcasts early, depending on uh, when we have those edited. And also at the $5 tier, uh, you'll, you will get at least one bonus podcast every month. Uh, we definitely have some cool podcasts coming down the pipeline that we are working very hard behind the scenes on, uh, but for now, if you subscribe to our $5 tier, uh, I think at this moment we have a lot of different interesting At Movies episodes on there, uh, even an episode of Manga Fights, uh, and even our uh, review of That Time I Got Reincarnated as Yamcha, a lot, a lot of cool, interesting stuff again, that you can only listen to if you're a Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Um, but as for the podcast, you can also follow all comic on facebook.com slash All Comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore. Uh, but if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter uh, at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr.com at com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, you can also listen to us on pr- pretty much everywhere, including Spotify and whatnot. Uh, you know what? If you have anything you want to email us about, like, uh, you know, what are you reading? Uh, what did you think about our banana fish discussion this episode? Uh, do, you, do you have any other manga titles you want to hear us talk about on the show? Uh, email us anything about manga or the podcast, and we'll read it on the show uh you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com uh but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcast uh that really helps the visibility of our show and i just realized i forgot to mention our youtube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks uh please uh, let's not forget about that definitely go subscribe to us on there uh we have a lot of different content on there sometimes even exclusive content But uh, I think that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, Again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been episode 98 of Manga Mavericks. And we will see you guys next time for episode 99. Bye, guys. Sayonara.